Good evening, everybody. How are you doing, Mr. Real? I am doing so good, RFM. It's been a great day. What night of the week is it? It's Wednesday night, 6.20 p.m. Mountain Time. It's time for a little bit of Mormonism Live. And 8.20 p.m. Florida Time. And I know that because I did the math and also because we've had at least one viewer from Florida tonight. And hopefully he'll be in the live chat. Awesome. We do have a lot of folks who watch the show from various places. There's 146 of you watching now. Uh, please hit the like and subscribe button. Uh, you can see all of our content uh, on the playlist Mormonism Live on the Mormon Discussion channel. You can also check out mormonismlive.org. We're deeply grateful for all of you who love the show and follow it. It is October 11th, Wednesday, 2023. Are we really up to episode 149, Phil? 149. And uh, man, it is. I actually would have guessed it would have been more than that. We've been doing this now into our third year, I think. And, it's uh, December of 2020. Yeah, so we're getting dang... No, we're in our third year. It'll be three years in December, correct? Add six more and we'll have three-year anniversary. Love it, love it, love it. Sweet. Well, this has been a lot um, of fun. Um, you and I talked about when we started this show that it was a chance to give folks a kind of behind-the-scenes in the way that we conversate or figure out kind of information around topics. And I think we've done a hell of a job of uh, exploring Mormonism and exposing... Uh, pieces and parts that don't often get talked about, or in many cases, I think we discovered lots of new things. And so I think, folks, this is the the show you want to be watching, and I think we do a hell of a good job covering Mormonism. Right here, right here. And, you know, this Tim Ballard thing is exploding now. Mm. And I did another episode. I came down to the studio last night to do a emergency episode on the new lawsuit. And at the end of that, I mentioned, and I mentioned it along the way, there's lots of elements of the story. It is a many tentacled thing. But to me, the most significant part of this story is what connection is there, if any, between Tim Ballard and Underground Railroad and LDS church leaders. And so I was excited to find out that I think it was last week now, Lynn Packer, who has been, who is first off an investigative journalist and has been since, I mean, forever at least since the Vietnam War, I know that much. And he released an episode dealing specifically with this issue. So I reached out to Lynn Packer, asked him if he'd come on the show, share his research with our audience. And I think that by the time you leave tonight, if you don't already, you're going to be thinking, yeah, it looks like there's definitely a connection between LDS church leaders, specifically Elder Ballard and possibly others, and Tim Ballard. So if we could bring Lynn Packer on, that would be great. Hi, Bill. Hi, RFM. And How are we doing? hi, Maven in the background. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Lynn Packer, how are you doing tonight? Good, thanks. Well, uh, Lynn, you've got some great research to share with our audience. I'll let you take it from the top. All right. Uh, if uh, she could pop up the first slide. I, I've prepared a, a series of slides about this. And this one sort of capsulizes the report that uh, Russell Ballard, at the beginning of his career, he, he started in college. Uh, he didn't graduate. He uh, started while he was in college working for his dad's car dealership. And then he quickly moved into the penny stock uh, market, Utah's extremely notorious fraud-ridden penny stock market. And that was in the 1950s. And that's when the spirit of speculation 
ran rampant uh, in Utah. And then the next slide shows what the result is, is that Utah has been known since then and continuously because of other types of fraud other than penny stock is the Utah fraud capital of the United States. Sometimes they say uh, the world. And even on Attorney General Sean Reyes's website, he asks the question, is Utah the fraud capital of the United States? And he says, yes, yes, we are. And the irony is, is he's part of the reason that uh, it continues. Then the next slide, and I'm just following along with it. This is a summary of Russell Ballard's career in uh, the penny stock market and his businesses. And on the left, you see that he uh, formed Russ Ballard Auto Inc. in 1956. He was taking over his father's dealership that went back decades, back to Covey Ballard Motor that was located downtown where later there was the Terrace Ballroom. And a lot of your viewers would remember the Terrace. And then they moved further uh, uh, down Main Street to 6 South, and that's where his dealership was, and it was a colossal business failure. It took him only three years to take a company that had been running for about uh, several decades, many decades, and just ran it uh, into the ground. And then his next uh, uh, failure was with the Valley Music Hall that was begun in 1964, and by 1970, it was losing huge amounts of money and only got uh, bailed out by the Mormon church. And then his latest business venture was for the Mormon church, where he either was in charge or played a significant role in a secret movie about Jesus. Uh, a, uh, uh, it was meant for theaters to uh, portray a Mormon Jesus. It cost millions of dollars and in the end, the church had to pull the plug on it because it was so poorly produced. And then over on the right side, uh, like I said, he began in uh, working in the penny stock area uh, in 1954, 1955. Uh, one of his stocks was Tatro Uranium. I mean, there's all kinds of names, Uranium this, Silver that, Gold that, all penny stocks. And... Most of them were frauds. Uh, then he formed his own brokerage. That's more than just uh, doing a, a, a penny stock. That's where you're a broker and you have a company that is dealing in penny stocks. And as we shall see, uh, he was cited by the SEC and lost his license. And then he continued. He was near well, Basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, Lynn, um, the qualifications for Russell Ballard, Elder Ballard, to become an apostle are a huge business failure with his father's um, car dealership. Right. Being in the middle of the penny stock scandal in the 1950s, the Valley Music Hall fiasco, and a failed LDS church movie about Jesus from 2020. Right. So are those the qualifications for church leadership now? Well, see, and, and, and that's getting at what the, the, the problem is, is how quickly he uh, engages in failed businesses 
and uh, engages with people who are, uh, are of low moral character. And it has been uh, just like a hallmark of his career. And then, as I indicated, as, as near as I can tell, and, and, and you can get this information quite a bit from public records, uh, he's continued investing in penny stocks. And so it's not something that he set aside or the church told him to set aside. Now, I haven't done any research in the last uh, couple of years, but as of two or three years ago, he and his family and uh, some of their business entities still traded in penny stocks. Then the next slide, if you can pop it Sorry up, is, is, is the, now is the question, and this gets to what you said, RFM, right at the beginning, is what role did he play with OUR and with Tim Ballard? Was he a victim of Tim Ballard? like the church statement says, that he was victimized, really didn't know what was going on, or was he an accomplice? And remember the church said, President Ballard never authorized his name or the name of the church to be used for his personal or financial uh, interests. Yes, and that statement has been confirmed by no less than the governor of Utah as being authentically from the church. Well, it's, like, it's the position, they move quickly to establish that position and any time you move quickly, whether you're in the military or you're running an offense in football, the question is, is can you hold that position or is it now putting you out vulnerable to attack? And as you'll see, that position is uh, very vulnerable. And the, going to the next one, to the next slide. Oops. And I know that you've got sorry, a great collection. Sorry, pictures, I'll let so. you, David. I'm gonna let you yeah, handle it. I'm super. Sorry, no, no, no. <laughs> That's okay. Doing it at the same time. <laughs> Is this like when I'm trying to I'll let you handle this window from the driver's seat, and I'm trying to yeah. lower it, and they're trying to raise uh, it? Or something? There we go. Yeah. Okay. This anyway. Okay. So, so here's a, another question that I'll answer before you guys even ask it: Is why are news outlets not reporting about it? As soon as this story broke. You could tell, okay, there's three or four really important characters involved here. There's, of course, Tim Ballard. There's Russell Ballard. Uh, there's uh, Attorney General uh, Sean Reyes and Glenn Beck. And you'd think that all of them would get a lot of coverage by reporters to see, okay, what did they know? When did they know it? How were they involved? And already, at least uh, Fox 13 and Adam Herbitz has been doing the uh, attorney general angle, as mm -hmm. any reporter should. Any yeah. reporter playing a watchdog role should now wonder what, what did he uh, really do? And did if there was a fraud, did he contribute to it? And was he accomplice? And, and those are the questions. Right. But the... But the fact is, with 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 Russell Ballard, is generally speaking, and any high-ranking LDS official that 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 may warrant uh, critical coverage, it's really off limits uh, by the by the Utah press, and it's been that way for decades. It was that way when I broke the Paul Dunn story. I couldn't get. I had freelanced uh, here. I'd done reporting here. I couldn't get 
any news outlet in Utah to run the Paul Dunn story. It was off limits. Didn't matter if he made up his warm baseball stories. Didn't matter if he played a major role in the AFCO fraud and lied about uh, the role he played. It just it was not going to be covered. And as you know, there's a covenant uh, that people make, Mormons, when they go to the temple, that you get a charge to avoid all evil speaking of the Lord's anointed. But the, the, the thing that's curious about this, it's not only Mormon reporters, especially the Deseret News, that's hands off. It's uh, all reporters. And so don't expect to see a lot of coverage about what we're going to talk about today. And of course, Dallin Oaks, who probably is now playing the significant role behind the scenes. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's really smart. He's had a lot of experience, former president of BYU, former Supreme Court justice. And so I would imagine that he may even be calling uh, many of the shots as the church tries to navigate uh, through this storm. Mm. You know, and he says it's wrong about to criticize leaders of the Lynn. church, even if the criticism is true. <laughs> I'll never exactly. Yeah. But Lynn, Lynn, the important thing to remember is that there was no conversion therapy going on while Elder Oaks was president of BYU. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is, <laughs> it, 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 really, this is remarkable. Just this one comment that's a little bit off the course is that when I was working on the Paul Dunn story, I was teaching at BYU, and Paul Dunn was really good friends with Jay Balaf, uh, a vice president at BYU, and, 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 and got Balaf to call me in uh, for a, a lecture about being a good uh, BYU citizen. And one of the things he said was exactly that. He said, it doesn't, I, I started to say, well, this is serious. He's lying in his church uh, talks and, and his tapes, and he's involved in a fraud. And he said exactly this. He says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's true. You just, you, just don't, you just don't do that. So you can go to the next slide. It sounds like Bill's excommunication hearing, too. <laughs> Okay, so now the question is, and, and it may have already happened, whether uh, Tim Ballard joins the ranks of, of, you know, famous Mormon malefactors, ones that uh, do something so sensationally legally or ethically wrong that, that it brings disrepute not only to the, their own families, but to the church and sometimes to the state of Utah. And I covered, you can see there, the Ted Bundy trial where I'm talking to- In the bow tie, uh, right? Pardon? In the bow tie, right? That's Ted. <laughs> yeah. So I, here I am talking to uh, Bundy and his attorney during a break during the trial that I covered. Remember he Wait was- Wait a second, Lynn. One of these people is you? Yeah. Which on the you? left? The one on the left. Mm -hmm. The clean That's, shaven one. What? The clean shaven one. Yeah, the the one I can't point, but you see Bundy in the middle. You see, yeah, yeah the clean shaven. You see, uh, uh, John O'Connell, I think was his name. His attorney on the right, and I'm on the left. What we're doing is we're out in the hall just chatting during a break uh, during the trial. If you recall, he was tried and convicted of kidnapping, not murder, in Utah. Then was in a Utah prison, was transferred to Colorado, broke out of jail. And that's when he went to Florida and continued uh, the spree. 
Then in the middle, middle this? in the middle picture on the top, I recognize Mark Hoffman. Is that you as well? Yeah, that's me when I was young. <laughs> that was a lot of years ago. A lot of years ago. And, and that's the same thing. It's during a break, during his preliminary hearing. Remember, he pled out so that there was no trial. And, and uh, we were just uh, chatting uh, during a break of, of the hearing. And then to the right is the book I wrote about Paul Dunn. And what's I think uh, could be helpful with this book is in it, I go through all the uh, uh, contacts and, and discussions and meetings I had with the church, including with two apostles dealing with the so-called uh, Paul Dunn problem. And I suspect that what is going on now with Russell Ballard uh, behind the scenes are similar to what I saw and experienced firsthand uh, when I uh, worked on that story. Then, of course, at the bottom is the, are the two Ballards that we always point out that they're not related. And this is when they were on one of their historical tours because they, they both share an interest in uh, American and Mormon history. Then the, yeah, I would say that between the two Ballards, a line occurs to me that they are less than kin and more than kind. <laughs> It's okay, Shakespeare, then, huh? Then the next slide is I'll give you some breaking news tonight so you can play like a uh, news outlet uh, for a second. Is that uh, did any of you see Sound of Freedom? I did. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Breaking news. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, you really you understand that uh, they called him Vampiro in the movie. And the reason they didn't call him by what how he was known uh, by OUR and still is is Batman is because uh, of the movie uh, problem that that uh, the the uh, movie company that had the rights to Batman wouldn't let him use it. So they they uh, invent the word uh, Vampiro, who's played by Bill Camp. Now Batman, who is Steve Cass, is. An interesting person, and in many ways, he's the real deal. He went into uh, Mexico, Central and South America, and was on a mission to rescue girls who had been pulled into prostitution. And he was working uh, very closely with the U.S. Attorney's Office out of uh, San Diego to prosecute cases. And in truth, he put together most of the operation, the one in Colombia that uh, that uh, the Tim Ballard takes credit for. And and he's a interesting character. And he was uh, one of my sources for reports that I did. And out of the blue, I get an email from him this morning. And it says, well, it looks like your mission is completed. And now, then he says, I read is this to you, his email to you, or is yeah. he addressing Tim no, Ballard? No, it's to me. And then he said, I read the 89-page case, and I'm heartbroken and sick. If any of it is true, one of the biggest disappointments of my life. And I'm, I'm sure that's true. He, yeah. he, he was not pleased that Ballard was taking credit for much of what he did. 
but he still liked him. He liked the fact that, remember, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that understand that a lot of things Ballard is saying about uh, child sex trafficking is not true, but he has accomplished uh, uh, publicizing at least how he describes the problem and bringing a lot of money into the movement. And so uh, Steve appreciated that. And even though he would say, explain what he did on some of these missions, he wouldn't badmouth Ballard because he, he liked him and he had known him for so long. And, and, and that's reflected in what he said. So now we can turn to this, a discussion of the slides that I used. If you pull up the next one in the report that I uh, published to YouTube uh, last week. And of course, I think the title slide says it all is that both of them are lying about the financial dealings between the two of them. And then if you keep going, is that up until very recently, there was no admission or denial. That is, prior to the September 14th statement to Vice News uh, by the church, uh, where they denounced Tim Ballard, neither one of them would admit that they had a business relationship or deny it. And for three years, because I began this series of reports three years ago, I would try to get them to talk about it approaching uh, them, approaching the church, they wouldn't talk anything about it. And then things changed, as you see on the next slide, is that first it was Tim Ballard who made an explicit denial. Remember the, I, I call it a rant sort of, he was very upset about the church statement. So he was on tour in Boston or Plymouth, Massachusetts, he said, never in my life, never have I used his name to raise money. And then he said, I never had any business dealings with him. And so finally, you get Tim Ballard on the record. I didn't have any business dealings. And then the next one is where Russell Ballard, uh, through the church, makes a statement to the Salt Lake Tribune. And I guess that still has to pop up with that statement is where Doug Anderson told the trib that the, the apostle uh, Russell Ballard is not a key equity holder or a silent partner, which is how it was usually described and has no relationship with slave stealers, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is the name of the company that he was a silent partner in. And then the, if you pop up the next one, is that Robert Gerke, the reporter, I called him after he did this story and I asked him, I said, now are you certain you understood the church correctly that he had no uh, business dealings? And he said, that's my understanding. That he, the church uh, spokesman, said there was no involvement in any way in any of Tim's ventures. Then the next is so here in a nutshell is what the church's spin is. It portrays Russell Ballard as having been victimized. You know, you can go back and read the whole thing. Uh, it concedes no wrongdoing on Russell Ballard's part. That is, he's not an accomplice. 
does not explain how a prophet, seer, and revelator could so easily be deceived by a, a, a confidence man. And so after that, Tim Ballard's denial that we uh, that I read a second ago is being fact-checked by the press. Nobody's fact-checking Russell Ballard's. Nobody's checking to see, is it really true that he had no business dealings? Okay, the next. And so this is sort of a, a, a preview. Uh, actually, you're an attorney, RFM. This is what you'd say at the end of the opening statement after you've presented an overview of the evidence I presented in the beginning, then you can determine whether it's true or not. The evidence really is overwhelming that they were engaged in business ventures with an S. They're both lying. But then in my video, I say briefly, uh, he may not have not no alternative but to lie about it. Because if he starts telling the truth about this, then he'll be asked about that. Soon reporters eventually might getting around, get around to asking him about the Jesus movie. And, you and mean it President would just Ballard. go on and on. You're talking about President Ballard now. President Ballard, yeah. <laughs> and right. well, ultimately, I know what the evidence is you're going to be adducing here. But don't let me forget the question because the question is obvious. If they're both lying about having business relationships with each other, why are they lying about it? Uh, well, we can only guess. My guess is on Tim, uh, Tim Ballard's part, is he still thought there was a chance for him to remain in good stead with the church because he he needs it. I mean, he has worn Mormonism on his sleeve from day one. He when he said that uh, my wife and I we went to the temple. We 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 were inspired to quit my job with Homeland Security Investigations and form a nonprofit, and then on and on and on, dropping the name of Jesus and uh, crying, uh, praying openly on video that, that God is directing what he's doing. Now, Russell Ballard, um, see, see, we don't know who the church spokesman consulted with, whether it was one or two members of the 12, whether it was only Russell Ballard, we don't know that. We don't know where he got it. We don't know if whether Russell Ballard is lying to other apostles and to uh, church uh, public relations people. We don't. We don't know that. But the motive may be is that I have to to protect the church. That that to admit being in business with somebody who was running a con through a nonprofit you know, in the name of rescuing children, for heaven's sakes, and saying it's the world's fastest growing criminal enterprise, and it's a cabal, and there are people out there kidnapping kids right and left, and they're disappearing, to admit being in business and helping support any of that financially would not look good uh, for the church. So that's just my guess. Can I just add really quick, not to get off into the weeds, but um, this isn't, you know, you pointed out the penny stock ventures of Elder Ballard earlier in his life. I'll just throw it up on the screen. We, we already know that Elder Ballard has no problem, at least in past moments of his life, being very deceitful and dishonest. Um, for instance, his uh, brokerage ability when it came to stocks was uh, taken away from him because, as the highlighted section says, for false and misleading statements, uh, again, he was certainly. Um, 
in a position to deceive people and to scam them uh, in ways that they lost money, financial means, and uh, and and was found essentially guilty by uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the sense that his uh, brokerage rights were removed. Right. And for people who are just listening to this on the audio, this was a press release from Securities and Exchange Commission News Digest dated July 10th, 1963, at which at the top of it, uh, M. Russell Ballard Jr., president and principal stockholder of the firm that was Keystone Securities Corp., was found a cause of the rep. Oh, I'm not sure. A cause of the revocation order. In its decision, the commission found that Keystone and Ballard violated Section 7 and 10, I think that's a 10, of the Securities Act of 1933, in that they aided and abetted Shasta Minerals and Chemical Company in making false and misleading statements in a registration statement. And that's all I'll read from it because I don't want to take too much more time. But basically, yeah, he's already been publicly chastised, chastised, have his brokerage license revoked back in 63. And yet nothing's going to stop this guy from rising to the highest echelons of the LDS church. Right. And remember, too, that this was a big enough deal back then that both the Tribune and Deseret News ran stories about it. Mm-hmm. So it would not would not have escaped anyone's attention. And at that time, even though uh, Russell Ballard was not a general authority, he was well known to general authorities like Thomas Monson, for example. I think he even bought uh, a car from the from the uh, from the dealership there, and just to note too that uh, Valley Music Hall, when because we covered that in an early episode of Mormonism Live when we were talking about the credibility and integrity of various leaders, Quentin Cook in the hospital in California, um, Thomas Monson's son, the se- allegations of sexual assault, and then getting hired by Curtin and McConkie immediately afterward. And, and we covered uh, Russell Ballard in the Valley Music Hall, and it was this strange moment where the church bails Ballard out, but then really doesn't ever purpose that building in a way that it actually functions in any real serious way. And it's almost it almost felt like a a favor of some sort. Well, right, and I'm I'm coming up to more detail about that in the in the slides, and I'm going to add a little bit, a couple of facts that aren't in the slides. <laughs> But uh, this was, um, it was, it's an interesting story to say the least. So, but we're coming up to that. So why don't you go to the next slide? And, and Elder Ballard's first rodeo. And, and now we're, we're, we're going back to analyzing a little bit more of the uh, church statement where it says President Ballard never authorized his name or the name of the church to be used for Tim's personal or financial interest. Of course, at the time they didn't say what personal was. I think we can, fairly deduced now that, that that it was about sex because they knew about it. The church had en- engaged an attorney to uh, investigate on behalf of the church who was really experienced and uh, was working in connection probably with the, uh, the, the bishop's court. Uh, they, they don't call it excommunication anymore, I don't think. Uh, working with that, and very likely was also working with the public relations people trying to figure out how can we better put a, a better face on this. And then the next slide is where you have the, uh, afterwards, you have the accusers call a press conference 
Uh, and then you can pop up what she said, where she's describing what the accusers say. I'm sure 99% of your viewers have already read that. And remember, it was after this that the lawsuit is filed and has uh, far more detail. And, and so anyway, so uh, Vice or the accuser said, while engaging that noble cause, we were subjected to sexual harassment and spiritual manipulation, grooming. And, and then it, uh, uh, Vice added in its report that Ballard is alleged to have invoked his own personal connection to the divine and the authority of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to persuade women who worked for and with OUR that testing their sexual chemistry had been approved by God. And then I raised the question, does that, does what they really mean was approved by Russell Ballard. And as we read the more detail that came out after this, uh, I don't think it mentions Elder Ballard specifically, but other witnesses have uh, drawn a closer link. If you go to the next slide, uh, now, this was an interesting uh, uh, statement that Jimmy Rex made. Jimmy Rex is a Utah millionaire who moves in conservative circles. He has a show. He's very articulate, interviews guests, brings out interesting information with the guests. And he interviewed Sean Reyes uh, and... Uh, uh, Paul Hutchinson, who is played in the movie by Eduardo Vrastegui as the uh, American pedophile sex tourist who uh, sets up the stings. And then, of course, Tim Ballard himself. Then if you go to the next slide, is that this is, this is actually an incredible interview, or not an interview, it was a statement. He didn't have any guests. Right. I he, he just he just went on and started making statements about it. And then he just flat out says he was using ML uh, in Russell Ballard's name, saying he basically okayed it. And when he says okayed it, the at least in uh, Jimmy Rex's view, it was Elder Ballard who was saying that this illicit sex, uh this pretending to be husband and wife was okay as long as you're rescuing uh, uh, child sex slaves. And then Maven, if you have that first video, we could watch what I what I used in the in the video. Yeah, sorry, it'll take me just a second to pull it up, but I I am bringing it up. Um, when I. <sighs> So when I, as I sit here and, and listen to this whole thing, I watched your video that we're doing the slideshow here on and, and having the conversation around. It, it just strikes me that Elder Ballard on multiple occasions has some degree of dishonesty. We have, honestly, the, the church public affairs department is constantly offering carefully worded statements to give these men cover. It, it seems we've covered in, again, that previous episode where we talked about the music, the Valley Music Hall, we talked about how it seems as though it's almost a prerequisite that on some level, these top men have some sort of compromise, at least a lot of them have some sort of compromised integrity 
that they tend to find themselves at the top. I mean, you know, in your coverage of Paul H. Dunn and the the initial reaction to that with you when when that story broke to sort of kind of want to sweep it under the rug. And it wasn't until you and others sort of said like, no, we're not going to, we're going to, we're going to hold this accountable. Like we're going to talk about this. Uh, does, do they you know, put him into emeritus status and uh, move him uh, outside of kind of the act of 70? It just, it seems like this sort of stuff happens pretty regularly inside the LDS church. Well, I, when I was a reporter at KSL, I was, I started working on a an alleged fraud that involved a uh, prominent Mormon. I can't remember if he's a state president, could have been a regional representative. And then just all of a sudden he's called on a mission. And so he's out of the state. He's uh, out of the public eye, out of, you know, it, it, in a way out of the reach of law enforcement. And then when you have this general attitude by reporters and it probably spills over to law enforcement as well that it's hands off they had when uh, grant affleck was charged for fraud with the afco fraud that paul dunn was uh involved with they had grounds to to uh, indict paul dunn as well for lies he had told about his involvement but they didn't do it. And one of the reasons was, is they said, well, if we indict him and he's, he's sitting there at the defense table, we're probably going to lose the jury on it. We, it may blow our case. So he, 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 he got off and it was never uh, made public at that point. What the, what lies he told, which of course I cover uh, in the book. Yes. I think we might have that video ready. Right. Yeah, was it the one of of Tim? It's number one. I had him. I had him number. I had it, and then I questioned myself, and I brought it up. But it looks like Bill's got it, so I'll hand it over to Bill. As long as it's number one, it's the right one. (laughs) Okay, sweet. All right, I think Bill's got it. Let me uh, turn up the sound here. Make sure you guys actually let me do this. uh, Yeah, I apologize. That the the number one one, uh, Maven's right was just a very brief recap of uh, of what Ballard said to reinforce. That's what he said. But go ahead and play it anyway. I think it's instructive uh, anytime you can hear it directly from the individual. It's not true. Nothing's, nothing in here is true. I have never used Elder Ballard's name, ever. I've never traded on his name to ask for anything. I've never had any business dealings with him. See, and it, it helps to to see his demeanor when he makes that statement and makes that uh, makes that denial. But that still is a good segue into the uh, the, uh, the 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 next video by Jimmy Rex, and listen carefully to what he says. Um, long story short, at that meeting, Tim had mentioned that his silent partner was M. Russell Ballard. The church is smart enough to know this. They don't want, uh, once they found out that Tim was having affairs and he was using M. Russell Ballard's name, saying that he basically okayed it um, to fool these women um, that were volunteering for OUR. Um, and that's why he was essentially betrayed so badly that here's why the church publicly made sure that everybody knew that the church didn't endorse Tim or OUR because it's that bad. 
Oh, play that last uh, part. Uh, sorry about still that. Was a yeah, yeah sorry. I thought that was, yeah. We were not to the end. Sorry about that. You know, it's not the church's fault. I was duped by Tim, too. Um, no, there's. Okay, I think I think that that was to the end. But in any event, uh, what you do is you have someone who who I believe was at the whiteboard meeting that we'll talk about in a minute and who knew the players knew about uh, uh uh, knew about what these allegations were and whether Russell Ballard, at least in Tim's view, in Tim Ballard's uh, view, had given the okay. And so, and so I, I just put up on the slide or put on this slide the caption, what he said, and he was using M. Run, Russell Ballard's name saying he basically okayed it. And he was talking about the the, the, the wife girlfriend uh, tactic that they were using. Double Drews. Yes, he would, definitely was saying that in context. You're right. Right. That's and then to go to the next slide. So what I did is I have another source, and 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 he also uh, runs in very conservative political circles, and and knew Ballard very well. Uh, knew some of the alleged uh, victims. And he said the same thing. This is what he told me. When Ballard got to the point he needed to convince an OUR volunteer fake wife to have sex, his ace card was telling her it was blessed by an LDS apostle, M. Russell Ballard. Now, we don't know if it's true that Russell Ballard okayed it. I would sort of doubt that he would go that far. But in any event, it's what Tim Ballard was telling them, and it's a way of invoking the name of the general authority to get something, whether it's money uh, or sex. Then we go to the next slide. And so, so I did a report in December of 2020, that's almost three years ago, that, that it was an expose on their business connections. And I, I went through not only the facts that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, it's more detailed. Like if somebody wanted more detail about it, they could go back to this report from more than uh, two years ago. And the facts in, in those stories remain uncontested. Nobody's come forward and said, no, the Valley Music Hall made money. No, he was not in the penny stock market. No, he doesn't own pen trade in penny stocks today. So then the next slide. And so uh, this is what I said in that. I said, okay, I'm going to talk about Russell Ballard's spiritual and financial connections to Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad. And that was the purpose of a large uh, part of that particular YouTube video. Then the next slide. Then what I did, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, is that I sent an email prior to publication to Doug Anderson, who was director of media relations still at the time. Remember, he's the same one who just recently gave the statement to Vice News uh, where the church distanced itself from, uh, from uh, Tim Ballard. And so I won't read the whole thing. I'll just say that I gave detail about it. I requested an interview, and then I waited for him to get back. Then you go to the next slide. 
And so he responded a couple of weeks later. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for your inquiry, your desired interview. He's very nice about it. After consideration, we will not be able to provide an interview. And obviously, uh, no comment. And so then I responded in the next slide. Had this date wrong in the YouTube video. I fixed it. Uh, thanks for getting back. I said to, to Doug, I planned a, the next report by Monday, and then I pasted an image of the opening, the title slide uh, next to it that you see there. And then if after viewing it, if he decides to answer any questions, to comment, you know, to just send me an email that this, this, and this is wrong. And then by then, because it was a couple of weeks later, I said the other general authority that we, I believe, uh, invested with uh, Tim Ballard is Robert Gay, whose business partner is Steve Young, you know, the quarterback, uh, and a well-known OUR supporter. Steve Young uh, did sort of a video promotion for OUR. And I also mentioned that besides telling him at this point that I think he's the one, I called Elder Gay's office, left a message. They never, I don't think, put you through unless they know who you are, and said, I'm doing a story. It's about your investment in uh, with Tim Ballard. And they, they didn't get back. So they've had lots of opportunities to respond. And actually, they've had three years uh, to respond. Then going to the next one. And so I'm going to summarize uh, a little bit the previous reports. I, I said that a minute ago, that there's not as much detail in this one as the other, because if somebody wants more detail, they can go back and see the other one. So I'm just going to sort of give them the highlights. So uh, go to the next one. And this is the, the covenant. Uh, That's kind of where it all begins, isn't it? Because yeah, I, haven't exactly. been following, yeah. I haven't been following Tim Ballard. I never heard about this book until recently. But this is how far Tim Ballard and Elder Ballard go back together. Yeah. See, Tim Ballard, uh, Glenn Beck, and Russell Ballard are really kindred spirits. They believe the same thing about Mormon history, the same thing about American history. They believe that the forefathers covenanted with God to establish this land so that it would be a, a, a free country where uh, Joseph Smith could come along and restore the church because he could not have done it uh, in another country. And so in 2012, while Tim Ballard was still with Homeland Security, and initially he didn't even tell back he was with Homeland Security. He just says, I'm an author. He goes on, Glenn Beck loves it, he promotes it. Then you go to the next line. And so his first book was released in uh, 2011 and was read by Elder Ballard. This is from a source back at the time who knew them, and, and he's describing what happened. And after reading the book, Elder Ballard asked for Tim to meet with him. He did so for a three-hour visit. And he said, every American needs to read this great book. And he counseled Tim to write another copy without the LDS doctrine in it for mainstream Americans. And through that endeavor, it will become a missionary tool. So you can see the, uh, the, the, the business advice and connection here. 
Now, obviously, he didn't invest in the book, but he's giving him advice uh, that this could be a missionary tool. And this is going to repeat itself in a second here, if you go to the next slide. And, and just to mention, and you guys would know better than I do because you're more history buffs, but it, it's the book has is just disinformation. It's rewritten to fit a Mormon narrative. Uh, Tim Ballard, uh, according to a historian, wrote more fiction than fact, and it reflects a broader trends in the far right, which is increasingly untethered from re reality. He doesn't use the, the term maggot, but I think that's sort of what he what he means. Then the next slide. Lynn, can I just bring up something that that's just caused me to think of? And it has to do with Glenn Beck, who I used to listen to sometimes yeah. around 20 years ago mm -hmm. before he became a religious leader of some sort. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, I recall that Glenn Beck, like this covenant book by Tim Ballard and promoting it that he had done a similar thing with Cleon Skousen's book, The 2,000-Year Leap. Do you remember that? The book? Yes. Yes, very well. I, I, I read when I was in junior high, Cleon Skousen's The Naked Communist and actually believed it at the time. Yeah, well, this 2,000-Year Leap, you know, it was published, I don't know what, the 60s, maybe the 70s. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, very pro-American and constitutional kind of stuff and the history, well, whatever it was. But it had had, of course, a limited run to a purely Mormon audience when it was first released. Glenn Beck gets a hold of it. He loves it. He touts it. It goes huge, much bigger mm -hmm. sales than it ever achieved in its first edition. So I'm just saying that sounds like a similar thing also with the Mormon connection that Glenn Beck had done before. Well, sure. And if you can make it on Glenn Beck's show, he can just snap his fingers and, and, and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of donations pour in, which is about to happen when they move from the big book sphere to the film sphere. But in the, in, the, in the meantime, I just wanted to mention this one story, the Mayflower miracle story. I don't know if you guys have heard it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in, in the book, The Pilgrim Hypothesis. And the, the idea is, is that when the Mayflower was coming over, John Howland, who was a Mayflower uh, passenger, fell overboard. And you can see at the bottom of the photo of the painting there that somebody's reaching out to be saved. And he's got a hold he, of a rope. He found yeah, the rope. He gets a hold of it and he's saved. And if he wasn't saved, there would be no Mormon church. There and there would be no Russell Ballard because he's also uh, a descendant. And after the video ran, uh, what I want to know is who the hell saved this guy? Pardon? What I want to know is who the hell saved this guy? Well, I, I think it's in the accounts who was who tossed him the rope and and how they were saving. But but after my video ran, then I got a comment uh, from a woman who was uh, incensed. I think she may have been a descendant. She was incensed that the. the I would infer that it didn't happen. And I emailed back, no, I, I had, it probably happened. There are several accounts what I, I don't believe in that it was a miracle. And I said, if God wanted to preserve him, why did he let him fall off the boat to begin with? In the first place. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then, then she sends back an email 
that, uh, you know, anyway, uh, this is more typical of a lot of the comments that I've uh, gotten from some of these reports that she was still insisting absolutely it was a miracle. You don't believe in miracles. You don't, you don't believe in God. I never brought up God at all. But now, if I don't believe in this, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in a God that, that, that would have somebody throw a rope and save somebody. Anyway, next slide. So getting back to your oh. point, John Howland from the Mayflower ends up being an ancestor of Joseph Smith Sr., which means he's an ancestor of Joseph and Hiram Smith. And Russell Ballard being a descendant of Hiram Smith, this guy now goes directly in his ancestry.com. Well, exactly. And that, see, and this is, this is a source of great pride. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it gives you status if you're related to, uh, to somebody that's well-known like this, and especially if a miracle is involved. So that's what, you wouldn't be there uh, without that. A little less well, rope and the whole world would be different. Yeah. So as I indicated, the next big venture was with uh, with uh, Russell and Tim Ballard was taking it up another level to come out with a, a, a television series, one that not only could make a lot of money, but again, uh, bring uh, people to the to the church, to the covenant, and to the to the church both, and it gave them something to invest in. Then next, this is a flow chart that I made in one of the print reports I did in 2015, where I described the relationship. Uh, between the nonprofit Operation Underground Railroad that's at the bottom to your left and the for-profit Abolitionists LLC, because that was the name of the television series that they were promoting. And uh, Tim Ballard controlled both of these organizations. The green arrows show the money at the time that he was going to get from both. And the way it works, if you look at the pink arrows, is that Operation Underground Railroad would supply the actors and props. That is the jump team that goes in to rescue. And in essence, the kids who are rescued become movie props. Then the abolitionist LLC, they would do the production. They would have multiple cameras, cameras in eyeglasses, cameras in pens, cameras hidden up in the loft and shoot the video. And the justification for that is, is not only would it be used for the television series, but then they could give copies to law enforcement for evidence. And as an attorney again, RFM, I don't have to tell you that this would not fly in American courts, but in other countries, apparently, well, not apparently, it, it did work. There were occasions where video was used uh, to prosecute, specifically in Colombia. There were several of those who did go to jail. Now, you see over to the right is that that's where Russell Ballard invested, was over on the for-profit side. You know, the press release, this statement that the church gave Vice News made it seem like, okay, he's donating. They don't talk about money, but the inference is if there were any money, 
it would be over to rescue and take care of the kids, but that was not the case. So if you go to the next slide. So here's the, the ones I believe invested in it is Robert Gay, as I mentioned, uh, Russell Ballard and Dale uh, Renlund. And remember, I left phone messages with all three of them. All they needed to do is just politely call back and say, this is just, it's just not true. You're getting bad information. Now, it still may turn out to not be true. I think it's very likely true, but they had a chance to correct it. And I show the photo to the right where uh, Tim Ballard would sort of show off his connections with the church. Now, Dimitri Azor, who you see in the shot on the right, is from Haiti. He's a very prominent person in Haiti. He went to high school with one of the Haiti's presidents. He's well-connected with uh, political figures, and he was very helpful uh, with uh, OUR. And, is Dimitri Mormon? Well, he was. He, I haven't asked him directly. I've had several conversations with him. I didn't ask him directly, but I was told by someone who knew him well that he has dual citizenship and he was educated partly in the United States, that when he was in the United States, he converted to Mormonism. But when he went back to Haiti, he fell a bit into inactivity. But obviously he knows the church well. He he loves the church. He, uh, he uh, thinks highly of church leaders. And so when he came to visit I don't know if it was the time, one time he came to when some other Haitian officials like the attorney general came to Utah to get awards from attorney general Sean Reyes. I don't know if that was the time, but he was impressed that when he came to Salt Lake, uh, Tim Ballard said, uh, do you want to meet uh, an apostle of the church? And he said, well, yeah. And, uh, and so when he went, somebody uh, shot a photo of it and he was very impressed and he was very impressed with uh, with Elder uh, Randland. The point is, is how easy it was for Tim Ballard just to say, I don't think any of us could set up anything like that, make a call and, hey, somebody wants to meet you. And, and uh, I, I want to impress them that, that I'm well connected. So the yeah. next slide. They ahead. were able to organize a meeting for me, but I'm not able to organize a meeting with them. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the way it works. Okay. So, what happened is is that they 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 produce a pilot for the television series, and this was years ago. I reported on this in detail in. 2015, but it was in print. And th th those are not online anymore. And so they called it the Abolitionist Series. And the series is now on Vimeo, the one that, that they were using, but it's, you know, behind, it's protected behind a password. It's not there for uh, public viewing. It's just there to share with people have an interest in it. There were seven episodes and the last episode is the infamous search for Gardy in the mountains between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, where Janet Russon, and you see the shot at the bottom right is a, a, a still frame pulled from that uh, movie uh, or pilot. 
And you see Janet Russell there with her face partly blurred because all through the video, her face is blurred. Uh, she's not called a psychic. She's called an informant. And she's not, the, 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 the film does not say that uh, she was getting instructions from Nephi. It says that she had intelligence, that she had intelligence. And you, can, intelligence. And, and you can see uh, Tim Ballard there because I'm sure you're familiar with the story is that they went on the, the search uh, posed as physicians and they had real doctors with them who did a clinic. And as the doctors were doing a clinic, they had Gesno Marty there trying to find and identify uh, Gardy, which of course uh, never happened. And, and so, so they, they, they do this pilot and then go to the next slide. And while we're doing that, Lynn, so you know, if you have not seen the movie, they do recreate the, the physician's ruse in the movie, in the last part. Well, yeah, yeah because it's, a, it's an important story for them. And I don't go into this detail, but there wasn't just one incursion into the area. There were at least maybe two or three where they keep going back because they're convinced that Janet Russon has identified where he, 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 he was. And the, the amazing thing, you guys, is, is that the new Tim Ballard-less, in other words, Tim Ballard is not there anymore, or you are, is still searching for Guardy and did a video recently where one of the OUR operatives is crying on the video as they're asking for money, saying we're still looking for Guardy and we still know he's being moved from place to place, which is what Janet Russin would tell them, that, okay, he was there, but he's being moved. And now the new OUR is saying he's still there, he's still being moved around, and we haven't uh, given up hope. So the movie, the, nobody picked up the TV series. Lynn, Nobody, I just got to ask you, could, could Tim Ballard be any more like Joseph Smith if he tried? <laughs> well, and, uh, uh, you know, and it's, uh, some people say that he claimed that he was, the, in essence, sort of a, like a resurrected or reincarnated Joseph Smith or would become uh, uh, a modern day replacement. So anyway. I'll just I just want to say, Lynn, we talked earlier about the Mayflower non-miracle miracle. Again, I don't want to be insensitive because they really took advantage of this story with this missing kid and never found him. Right. Mm -hmm. But finding him using a psychic would have been a really cool miracle. Like, like that would have convinced me that'd be a good miracle. I'd take that one. Um, the strength of miracles just with a rope. There's been a thousands of people probably saved from boats with ropes thrown again. Lots of people drown too, but right. Uh, yeah. Things happen. Yeah. So the, so, so they need to do something with the video. So what they do is they agree to put it together into a movie called The Abolitionists that premiered in Utah and Los Angeles. It could have premiered somewhere else, but those were the two main spots, I think. And so they cobbled it together. And it really looks like that if you watch it, because obviously that's something now you can see. So you can't see, have direct access to the pilots, but you can see a lot what was taken from the, the pilots and put into the abolitionists. And it was heavily promoted. The, the, the governor endorsed, as you see in one shot, uh, obviously, Sean Reyes, other political officials, a couple of them hiding behind the bomb, because that's what the movie did. It bombed. 
And now there's now they're in a pickle, especially if God has told them that a movie is going to be a vehicle to bring in money to rescue uh, kids and also to spread the gospel. And it was after this movie failed that led to the theatrical version, The Sound of Freedom. So as this one is failing, they're putting together The Sound of Freedom. So if you go right, and this one has the form of a documentary, correct? As opposed exactly. to the kind of freedom, which is a more mainline using actors sport. and such. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. So um, this uh, Liberty Liberty eighty nine is a is an entity, a business entity that was formed by uh, Tim Ballard and others in August of two thousand sixteen. And it, this entity didn't exist for very long, but it's important to understand that it did exist, that, uh, that uh, uh, Russell Ballard's son-in-law was a director, was involved with it that way. And so it's formed in August of 2016. I believe, and this is just my guess, that it was formed to do the theatrical movie. But uh, I've heard rumors, and they're only rumors, there were a lot of problems behind the scenes with the way it was put together. But in any event, to the day, on January 11th, 2017, it vanishes. Well, how does it vanish? It was just simply Tim Ballard writing uh, the uh, division of business to Utah saying, we're dissolving the company. So we know the exact date that it was dissolved. They could have just let it lapse and just never renewed it. And then the state would have dissolved it. But they, they go out of their way to dissolve it. And I think the reason is, is because they were going to replace it with another. That's January 11, 2017. Then the very next day, the next slide, is when these individuals met with the entire quorum of 12 apostles the day after Liberty 89 was canceled, there was a meeting with the 12 apostles with key figures behind the movie Sound of Freedom, which was just in the works at that time. And I believe the, the screenplay had either begun or was being written, but there was no shooting. It was just in, in, in the early stages. And, but they knew at that time there was going to be such a movie. And the people who attended are listed there, Eduardo Verastegui on the left, who was the movie producer and who played uh, Paul Hutchinson in the movie as the, as I explained before, as the pedophile sex tourist who asks for a party with underage prostitutes. Tim Ballard was there. Patrick Slim is a extremely wealthy uh, Mexican uh, uh, entrepreneur, his family, his, his father, Carlos, made most of the money, but he is heavily involved with the company. And he was uh, he was one of the funders of the Sound of Freedom to get it uh, to get it going. And then, of course, Sean Reyes, uh, Utah's attorney general, was there and he bills himself as the co-producer uh, of which there are several uh, of, of Sound of Freedom. And so they have this meeting, and my source, who you'll see in a second, 
was with him, took this photo, went into the meeting, says that Tim Ballard sat next to Russell Ballard. They discovered, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, Eduardo Vrastegui and Patrick Slim are uh, very active Catholics, some would say from the right wing of the Catholic Church, extreme uh, anti-abortion, uh, as is the LDS Church. And the LDS Church may, has made no bones about uh, working with Catholics to uh, combat abortion. And so certainly that would have been one of the topics uh, that was discussed uh, during this meeting. But the other topic was, what about a movie that would come out showing Tim Ballard as a hero, a Mormon hero, a Mormon guided by God rescuing these poor kids that would also help spread the gospel? Whoops, you're muted. Oops, RFM is muted. I think. RFM. I just Sorry. want to give you a chance to say that, Lynn, because usually it's Bill. No, I just want to focus on this January 12th, 2022. No, what year was it? Can we go back one? It was uh, 2017. Remember, a 2017. Day, after, a day after they d dissolved Liberty 89. Right. That the, the Russell Ballard's son-in-law is a, a, a director with. Okay, we'll get to that. But on this day, January 12, 2017, Tim Ballard, together with these other three gentlemen, including Sean Reyes, had a personal face-to-face -face meeting with church leadership. With the, the source that you see on the next page. Why don't you go ahead to the next page just so you okay. see the source. The, the, the source is Toxic Munoz, who was an executive, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, not secretary, but an executive with uh, Sean Reyes. And he was invited to the meeting uh, and attended the meeting. And he's the one that gave me detail about the meeting. The way he described it was the entire quorum. Of, it was a dinner meeting. They were served a meal. And he said the entire quorum of 12 apostles was there, but the president of the church was not. And he had offered uh, a... And just, I'm sorry, I, I can't make it uh, to this meeting. That is what he recalled. And it, it's also interesting how I approached the church on this. Is that obviously I'm going to ask the church to confirm or deny that this meeting took place. But the interesting thing is, is that my email to, and I did receive a reply that were looking at it, not a, a reply to my request. I requested an interview. I, I said in the email that I'm going to report that there was this secret meeting on this date. I'm going to report that. And I sent that email about three hours before they sent the denunciation email device. They, that they all happened, bam, 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 like that. And, mm. and I'm sure it was disconcerting to the church to hear that somebody also is going to report at this time that Tim Ballard met with the entire uh, quorum of 12 apostles, and they would have had some awareness of the relationship between Tim Ballard and Russell Ballard and about this movie that is coming out that turns out to be mostly fiction and mostly used to glorify uh, uh, Tim Ballard. So... Mm -hmm. 
Lynn, we have a surprise for you. This is a very important meeting. This is why I'm wanting to spend a little bit of time on it. Mm -hmm. You have direct information from an individual who is high up in OUR, who was present at the meeting, reporting to you that this is what happened. That's what he says. Our surprise for you tonight, Lynn, is that we have obtained an actual photograph from inside the room of that meeting where Tim Ballard is presenting about this movie idea for the sound of freedom to all the apostles. Do we have that, Maven? <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't get it from my phone to the computer. Bill, do you oh, have that? <laughs> this is groundbreaking Sorry, stuff. I, I mean, <laughs> by the way, while you're looking, we have for the first time in our history at Mormonism Live, we have for the first time over a thousand people watching us live. And so if you're watching on YouTube, please like the show, please subscribe to the show, and uh, please feel free to make a comment in the comment section so that we can increase our visibility and get this information out to more people. Thank you so much. Can, can I just ask a question here? With uh, Elder Gay, Elder Ballard, Elder Renlund, I remember in your video you did a couple weeks ago that you went into some detail about uh, the alleged amount that those three had invested in right. this. W- what was that total? Uh, I believe it was 600,000. 600,000. I, I, I believe that, the, you know, obviously I could be wrong. The source could be wrong. But I was told 600,000. I was told it was 200,000 each. And I could tell you more about one of those investments, but... I, until I get more proof about it, I'm not going to talk about it. The, the reason I, it's, 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 oh, it's very disturbing if it's true. The the reason I bring that up is that's not a small amount of money um, to be able to take. Let's just again three men. Let's say six hundred thousand. That's two hundred thousand dollars each. Maybe more or less for one of them, and less you know more for one and less for the other. Right. Um, yet. For if I were to go, I'm going to invest two hundred thousand dollars in ABC. Mm-hmm. Common sense logic says there is a lot more money sitting at my disposal because I'm not going to take I'm not going to take my entire life savings and throw it into this thing. Right. It's going to be a minute portion of my right. portfolio. Obviously, they're very wealthy, yeah. and this 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 is just is. Uh, chump change. Uh, yeah, but I want to hit on that for a moment. This, these are men who get, again, I know they had a private life and they're called into this leadership and they have successful careers to some extent. But these are also men who get really meager living stipends, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That the church would like us to think. And and the reality is that's on some, for some reason, again, their past business ventures, whatever it is, they these men have a lot of money at their disposal. Well, it would seem so. And and then keep in mind, this was these investments were possibly made even before OUR was organized in September of 2013, which and it would have been near this time. We we know it had to do with the with movie making. What we don't know, and I would like to know, and it would be one of the first questions, the second question I'd ask uh, uh, Elder Ballard is did you invest? And if he said yes, and I said, was that rolled over and rolled over again until it was rolled over into Sound of Freedom, which I think is 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 likely. But but one source 
an indirect source who uh, who may have met on one occasion with, with uh, Elder Ballard, there were several who did, but who knows what's going on, told me that uh, some time ago, he took that investment and redirected it to another entity within, uh, under the control of OUR. Because remember, the movie making part is separate from OUR, except for the fact that, that, uh, that Tim Ballard was on, uh, was controlling it uh, at that time, which if there were ever any oversight of, uh, of nonprofits, it would have been problematic. But there's, especially in Utah, there's no oversight. You can pretty much do what you want. Before we get to this photograph that we obtained, <laughs> Lynn, do I understand you correctly that after you got intelligence about this January 12th, 2017 meeting of Tim Ballard et al. with all of the apostles, at least in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, that you wrote to the church and asked if that meeting happened and they did not deny it? Well, they didn't. What happened is, this is what happened. This is the day that the statement came out, is that I, I, I knew that, that Tim and Anna, Tim Marchman with Vice were working uh I know two things. They were they were working on a story about these documents they got from the attorney general's office, which turns out to be these interviews that were conducted by the criminal investigation, which never should have been released. They would have been protected. We still don't know uh, why they were released. And so, and and so, uh, so not knowing, they didn't tell me that they had inquired of the church to get an interview about those documents. Obviously, you've read, uh, what is it, 79 pages or whatever it is. It's got a lot of information in it. They wanted to get feedback from the church. And about two or three weeks prior to this date that I'm talking about, they had made an inquiry and said, we would like an interview. We would like a comment. Uh, and we would like a statement about the church's uh, involvement with OUR. This is two or three weeks before. And so I didn't know that. I, I, I would assume they would do it. It's what journalists do. It's what I do. So I would assume they do it, but I wasn't paying any attention to it. I'm working on my story. So on that day, I'm ready. I, I know that I'm about to do the story. So I send the email to uh, church PR and say, I would like to do an interview. And part of my story has to do with this meeting that uh, took place in 2017 with the 12 apostles. And I think I mentioned that the, the, the sound of freedom uh, uh, was involved. I, I didn't send them the photo. Then I get a email back uh, from Doug that says that, that asks some questions to clarify it. He, he's not answering any questions. He's not confirming or denying. He just asks some questions. And I email him back. And then about two hours after that, I get a call from Tim and Anna saying that they had received this bombshell uh, statement and that and they knew it was a bombshell. And from time to time, because they're not LDS and they don't live uh, in this culture, they will call and just, uh, I, I think they basically wanted confirmation of what they understood. This was a very, very unusual 
statement that they were given. It just, it, some people call it a press release. It doesn't, it was a statement, but it amounts to a press release and it amounted to that once they published it. After that, I have heard nothing from the church. They, they never, after asking that the questions be clarified, I haven't heard anything. And, and, and I went ahead and published and still have not heard anything. Well, you'd think it would be an easy enough thing to deny if it weren't true. Well, sure. And it would be easy to prove because uh, uh, having had an uncle who was a general authority and having visited him uh, many times over the years, you don't walk in off the street. You sign in, you go through security. They, 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 they have to confirm what the purpose of the visit is. You don't walk in off the street and say, I, I want to visit my uncle. Uh, they call down and say, so-and-so is coming at this time. I went through this process on two occasions when I met with apostles in connection with the Paul Dunn story, went through the same process. So all they need to do is show the log, uh, and have it cover two or three days in case the date was wrong. But I think it was dated on the, the, the cell phone shot that he had. Uh, you know, it's done. They weren't here. Uh but they, they didn't do it. it. It's possible. I haven't checked it that well. It could have taken place at the Joseph Smith building at the restaurant there, but I don't think so. I think it took place in the cafeteria at the church office building, uh, not the church administration building, because I've eaten in that cafeteria once before. And, uh, and so I'm familiar that they do have a cafeteria up there. Okay, well, I hope you crushed your plastic bottles when you were eating there. But here's the photograph. We've got the photograph now of this meeting. I'll let you put it up there, man. There it is. So we've got all the apostles sitting around in a circle. There's Tim Ballard in the middle next to the blue screen. And he's telling the apostles, in the best part of the for-profit business, it can never be traced back to any of you. And then there's... Ian Russell Ballard over there to the left saying, that's my boy. There's this idea that the church is hiding something, that, which we would have to say as two apostles who have covered the world and know the history of the church and know the integrity of the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve from the beginning of time, there has been no attempt on the part in any way of the church leaders trying to hide anything from anybody. <laughs> that never gets very old. Good clip. By I, the way, I wanted, that, I wanted to say, Lynn, go ahead. Well, I've used that soundbite uh, before because, because now you can't get an interview with him. When, when uh, Mitt Romney was running for president, he was crisscrossing the country uh, asking to be interviewed by local media networks, AP, uh, all of that, but so now you can't get interviewed. So is this a Photoshop spoof? What is this? This is the real thing. <laughs> we had an actual, we had an operative inside the room, no, did not sign no. in, but was sort of just surreptitiously standing we are, imitating a potted fern. We are going to drag Lynn Packer's journalistic credibility. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Okay, Lynn, this is just for a little bit of levity here. As we're getting toward the end of this. No, this is actually a Photoshop by Rebecca Biblioteca. It has fooled many people. Not me. Hmm. But it's fooled many, many people. That's a really good job, I think. Well, 
And it actually uh, hasn't, it, it, it didn't fool me that that could have been the meeting because uh, the, 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 the person who, the, uh, uh, Munoz, who shot it, described the room that he was in. And this is not a description of the room. <laughs> and they were eating during the meeting. And I don't even see any snacks uh, on the table there. Well, it's actually a past Sunday if you do your research on this. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding, everybody. This is <laughs> this is something that is just a Photoshop to make fun of the situation. That's all it is. This is not real journalism, okay? Everything else up to this point has been real journalism by Lynn Packer. Everything else after this point will be real journalism by Lynn Packer. Okay, then back, just finishing up with the next uh, slide. That, that I was on, well, the one bef uh, uh, before that. Okay, uh, just one more statement about the, the one who shot the shot is that you see him in Mexico City and he went on a jump, you know, a so-called uh, operation with Tim Ballard in, uh, in Mexico City. They took some uh, Mexican law enforcement with them on the jump. And what I did not put in the video, because I didn't want to take the time to do it, is that what they did is they went into a bar, they were uh, served drinks, then they, the, the way it works, then you ask to go to a, a room where the potential hookers are brought. They went into that room they, they can't say we want somebody underage, so they have to sort of hint at it. And so he said they used the term, they, they brought in a woman and they said, well, we need something fresher. And I guess that's code for younger. And awesome. they couldn't that's produce good. anybody. And so it was a bust. And he said, and I said, well, uh, did Tim Ballard drink Coke? Because Ballard on one of the operations said, I don't drink but I have to make it look like I have been drinking. So I splashed beer on me and it looks like, and it smells like I've been drinking. And uh, Munoz said, no, he was drinking. And I'd never heard that uh, uh, brought up by an eyewitness to his drinking. But then you read the, uh, the civil complaint about his drinking tequila and even getting drunk and so it could be even much worse than what I was told. And just FYI, Lynn, about two weeks ago, RFM interviewed a OUR informant as well. And he also validated that at the strip clubs that he was at in these operations, that they were also drinking uh, liquor or alcohol of some kind, that it was not just soda, soda pop yeah. or some other beverage. You know, and the, the complaint said one time that he was – and again, this is just an allegation that he was smashed and, and missed one of his appointments. I have a video that I haven't used yet that is, I think, significant, but I haven't had the opportunity to use it, where Angel Studios puts together a panel of, I think, six guests, and Tim Ballard is one of them. And uh, it's significant because one of the guests they had was a critic of OUR. And yet they had her on in support of the Sound of Freedom and OUR. 
And Ballard was uh, up at the top of the panel, you know, I think six people. And either he was really ill or he was smashed. I mean, he, he was asked a question <laughs> that the interviewer had to help him answer. Seriously. I've got the video and I'm, I'm going to use it uh, sometime. Was he having a Foster Brooks moment? It um, it it was not it it it, it was not it, it was not pretty and in a lot of ways this is um, it's an enormous tragedy. It's what is going on. It's it, it's an embarrassment to the to the church. Sadly, it's embarrassment to the state of Utah. It's an, an embarrassment to his family and really to himself. And it's, it, it's not pleasant seeing something like this played out in public. And were it not that he has done all this as part of what I think is a, is a fraud, uh, it would be something that would be better left private, but it's not. Uh, there's a lot of money that has been wasted being donated to OUR, and OUR's message is so false that it has badly distorted the uh, attempts to educate the public about how they should really be concerned because pedophilia is real, it's a problem, it's just not the way that uh, Tim Ballard uh, describes it. But it sounds like from allegations that have been made, he has been successfully leveraging the general public's antipathy toward child sex trafficking to line his own pockets? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's not, it's, uh, remember, there's a lot of unhappy operatives that have left OUR, and that's what they say. They, they, they do not like Tim Ballard. They think, they think he's a con. They think he's abusing the church. They think that uh, that he's that he's hurting the process, and obviously it was a former uh, a volunteer or a former employee that ratted him out with the uh, board of directors. Mm -hmm. So that you know, Lynn, we're at the one and a half hour mark right now. I hope we're going to be getting to the Brunson video. Oh yeah, that's that's important. I'll move ahead here fairly quickly. If Maven will go to the next slide. Uh, okay, I, I go through a, 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 a timeline reminder if you pop up the next uh, thing where, uh, but, the, but, but I, this is simplified in this particular report and people who are interested now can go to YouTube and uh, watch this. So keep going because you're right. The, the Brunson video is really important. And so what I'm saying here is that the slave stealers, the, the book, uh, and, and you know what slave stealers means. It means people who were combating uh, uh, slavery and stealing slaves, not to use them as slaves, but stealing them away to safety, to freedom. And anyway, uh, in 2018, the, the slave stealers plan emerges. And it's not just about the book, but the book was part of it. It talks about uh, the Deseret News did a story about it. 
and it's it's going to be big and it's going to involve a full length movie the sound of freedom so very quickly that they're they're turning now to a theatrical motion picture as opposed to a documentary and if you go to the next one uh so slave stealers was incorporated in december 2018 uh by tim ballard then go to the next slide where's the company's principal office there it is the, the indulgent foods what does that have to do with slave stealing that's uh uh, uh russell ballard's son-in-law's office in farmington uh anybody familiar with farmington if you get off the freeway to drive downtown, there's the Farmington Junior High to the left as you're driving toward uh, State Street or Main Street. And this is right next to it. And they're into the uh, nutritional supplement uh, business. And, and that's where his office is. And so what's believed is that because Russell Ballard is a silent partner that his uh, son-in-law acts and speaks for him. And there's been multiple witnesses and, of course, these documents that all show that that's the case. Maybe so, if we go back to slide 44, the one right before this, for just a second, because here you have slave stealers being incorporated as an LLC December 13, 2018. The company's principal office is located at, and this is from the Secretary of State's office that you got this information, I presume. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, located at 228 South 200 West, Farmington, Utah. And that's exactly where. Right, Brad Ballard. Ballard's offices. Now, you'd get the impression that that's where Tim Ballard is, but that's not the case. So, oh, it's a Elder Island partner. So, Elder Ballard and the church deny any connection of Elder Ballard to some sort of professional investment uh, relationship with Tim. Right. And Tim's company, Slave Stealers, is located at Elder Ballard's son-in-law's business. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, the we only thing missing is to refer to Elder Ballard as the big guy. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know more. <laughs> I'd, lo I'd love to know more, but just like your request to get a response from them, uh, they've been reluctant. I think it comes down to things like this. I think we'd well, also sure. And, and remember, I've also tried to contact uh, and left messages with Brad Bauer and uh, Brower and ask him to return calls, and he hasn't. Yeah, he's very busy. No answer to. Mm -hmm. Yes, those I think be the ones we avoid. Those are the questions they're going to avoid. When they don't. On the on ones they don't know the answers to. It's not really that they don't know the answers. At the conference and yeah. it's not that they don't know the answers. It's that they don't want to answer it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, this is that. this is a huge piece of the puzzle, I think, and that's mm -hmm. why I wanted. This to is this is the there. smoking gun. Well, it would be it would be something that you'd highlight in an opening statement uh, during witness interviews, and then in a closing statement, saying unless you can show that this is fake, uh, it it's 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 uh, it's it could open and shut the case by itself. But remember, there's other evidence besides this. And Another huge piece is the Brunson video. I don't know if you're ready for that. I think we've got it queued up. Uh, well, keep going because I uh, just keep going for a minute. Go through the whiteboard meeting again. Keep going ahead with slides. There's there's another statement there. I go through the whiteboard meeting. I yeah. establish what it is. And again, I broke the whiteboard story more than two years ago. I went through it in detail. 
so they can go to my YouTube site if they want to know more about it. Then just keep can you going. Give us a thumbnail on the whiteboard just so we have it here for our audience because that's a huge piece of evidence too. Mm -hmm. And see, I actually created this uh, document, this uh, flowchart of the whiteboard before I had a copy of it because it was hard initially to get a copy. And Vice News got a copy of it before I did. And then eventually, I, but they redacted theirs, but eventually I got a copy of it. And it just, again, establishes uh, Russell Ballard as being a silent partner, according to, to Tim Ballard. Uh, and, and then that soundbite that we're going to pass up just is confirmation that he was at the meeting and it was said that Russell Ballard was a silent partner. It's just cooperation to... And even drawn on the diagram, apparently by Tim Ballard, that M.R. Ballard was a silent partner in the Slave Stealers for-profit company. Yeah, exactly. He was one of three, but it's a long story. There's a lot more to it. Uh, when I did the video before, I, I tracked these arrows and explain uh, what's what. So you can go ahead to the next slide. And uh, uh, Vice News then was the one that broke the story on the witness interviews, those AG documents that we're talking about. And so they interview witnesses who, again, talk about the relationship. So you can keep going with the slides. Um, the Tim Ballard regularly met. Uh, there's an audio that we could have played near the end, but I don't think we need to, where uh, Catherine, uh, Tim Ballard's wife, talks about the meeting once a month and sometimes more often. So it's conclusive that he was meeting regularly with uh, Elder Ballard. So you can keep going. Can I read these two clips? Because these are supposed to be transcribed from a video slash audio from a meeting. And this is supposed to be Tim Ballard, who's represented as speaking here, correct? Right. That's, those are his words. Do you want me to read that part of it? I tell you what, can I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's, good. that's even I'm better. Working on You've Tim got Ballard better than I do. <laughs> right. Through the whole process, this is Tim Ballard addressing a certain group of people, right? This is a meeting. This is a meeting with his people. Through the whole process and all these miracles... I have reported back to Elder Ballard at least every month, sometimes more. And on the way and on the way to the airport last night, I stopped by his house. And Catherine, my wife, Catherine and I spent about an hour with him, and he gave me a very powerful blessing. Next clip. He had also given Guesno a blessing. Now Guesno is Gardy Marty's dad. He, and this is supposed to be still about Elder Ballard, correct? He had also given Guesno a blessing and a before. I don't know what that means, but he says he blessed he blessed us with total success. He blessed us that the spirit would lead us. He blessed us that we would know what to do and not to do in every step. It would become, it would open up clearly to us. I just want to note a listener noted when we go back to the whiteboard mm -hmm. uh there is the mercury one and i just want to throw it up on the screen for two seconds mercury one is glenn beck's right. uh, non-profit mm -hmm. outreach so just fyi Oop, not that one yeah. grab it again sorry <clears throat> so just to note that whiteboard. okay yeah. well thank you there it is mercury one is glenn beck thank you yeah 
All right, so going on past that slide. Okay, uh, then I think this is important. And remember, we don't know that we know it's true that a witness said this. We don't know if they're telling the truth. But this is where Russell Ballard was in the loop during the failed rescue. And you see uh, three shots on the screen of Janet Russon with her face blurred out. One, she's with uh, Ballard, and she's pointing on, on a map where Gardy is. And then you see the other photo that we saw before that shows them on location where they're doing the search. And the, the idea was they were convinced that they were going to find Gardy and make a big deal out of it. And so they had a helicopter standing by they had people standing by in the Dominican Republic. They weren't going to fly him back to Haiti, but fly him to the Dominican Republic. And then it just says, according to one of the witnesses, he stated that one of the phone calls was to Elder Ballard to plan the press release of rescuing Gardy. And so apparently uh, Elder Ballard was going to assist with that. And they probably were going to give the scoop to the Deseret News. Because as I indicate in another video, that uh, the Deseret News is uh, is you know carries the water for OUR and the church uh, public communications. Then you can keep going. We're getting closer to to the Brunson. Can I just add this, Lynn? This is just an observation. Nothing says to me more that Tim Ballard is convinced that he's getting good intel from the psychic Janet Russin than planning a press release on the successful rescue of Gardy Marty right before they never find it. Sure. And this next slide is Dave Lopez. And again, this is the, uh, the documents initially uh, uh, given to Vice through a grammar request and then other media uh, get a hold of it. Uh, and I also have interviewed Dave Lopez on the phone and he's consistent with what he says that that uh, Tim Ballard thinks he's going to be the next Messiah, that he's going to lead people back to the church, that is, back to the, the covenant, to, to honoring the covenants that they make. And, uh, and the, they formed the opinion that the Mormon church was behind it, was helping uh, uh, Ballard with this uh, particular mission. Then he talks about slave stealers. Uh, he, he Again, his impression was that Elder Ballard was a silent partner. But if you go to the next slide, um, he, uh, uh, he, he, he did tell me, we're, we're getting to, to Brunson, but what Dave Lopez said is that he, he knew that Elder Ballard's son-in-law was the contact, but he says, I never met with him. I knew that he was just... Uh, there, he was aware of what was going on, but he would have had no reason to interact with him. Only those who were involved with uh, uh, slave stealers. Okay, so now we get, uh, this is my segue, is that, that Lopez talks about the sizzle, talks about the movie. He says that, that Russell Brunson directed the movie, which is, uh, he, he produced the movie. He gave some of the money. He did not direct it. It's Operation Toussaint that is the movie. And then he says, and then he says, this is what Dave Lopez says in the interview. He says, and Russell Brunson was basically recommended by the church and Elder Ballard. 
So what he's saying is, is that Elder Ballard directed Brunson to Tim Ballard. And then we're coming up very quickly. So let's keep going. Everybody wants to see the Brun Brunson uh, Yeah, because we get that confirmed out of the horse's mouth, don't we? Well, exactly. So, so here they are uh, at a quasi-fundraiser celebration uh, about the movie. Brunson's there. Uh, he, he cries as he talks about his role. Nick Nanton on the left is the one who was the director. And, uh, and of course, Brunson uh, did help fund the movie. And so uh, jump to the next slide. I think this is where, okay, go ahead and play, play the video and leave this slide up when, it, when it's done. Hey, my name is Russell Brunson, for those who don't know me. And I make this video to talk about Tim Ballard. Um, a lot of you guys know that he's someone who we have been supporting for the last few years. So the most recent article that came out uh, was basically saying that the Mormon church was against Tim Ballard and this whole huge thing, and it's this big this big scandal. Um, uh, and it's interesting because um, the way that I found out about Tim Ballard and the Operation Underground Railroad was actually from Elder Ballard. He personally called me and asked me to help Tim Ballard in Operation Underground Road. I have literally sat in the rooms with Elder Ballard and Tim Ballard as we discussed these things and these ideas. Um, the accusations that they're being made um, on the media are not true. Uh, as someone who was literally in the room when these conversations were happening, um, just be fully aware he's being attacked from the outside. This is not the truth, okay? It is not the truth. Again, and this is coming from someone who literally, I've been in the rooms with him and Elder Ballard talking about these things, okay? I've been in the room. Okay, then just bring up the other slide again. And, and I just repeating what he says, the accusations are not true. Uh, you know, and it's possible he could turn out being right. We, we, we need more detail. We need interviews with uh, some of the alleged victims who are willing to talk, but there's so many that they're likely true. And then he says, I literally sat in the room with Elder Ballard, Tim Ballard, to discuss these things. And then if you go to the next slide, what I say is, is with friends like Brunson, who needs enemies? He thinks he's doing uh, Tim Ballard and Russell Ballard a favor, but what he's doing is just confirming what sources are telling the reporters who are working on this story. And it's, 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 it's dramatic because what I'm guessing, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing this, I don't know this, but, but, but uh, Tim Ballard and Russell Ballard were working so closely together. Tim knew that they needed to fund the movie because they were making another attempt to, to make money and bring money for Russell Ballard ostensibly if he invested and to bring people to the Mormon church. And what better way to do it than for Elder Ballard, who has so much clout, he's an apostle, approaching a very active, believing Mormon who is worth probably tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. The, the kid's a genius at what he does and saying, hey, let's uh, connect. And what was the result of the connection? Isn't Brunson uh, funded uh, probably much of the movie? So let me ask you this question. First off, let me make this observation. Obviously, Brunson is saying that he has seen them both together and been in meetings with both of the Ballards together. The thing that really surprised me is that he clarified that this wasn't just an independent decision he made as an investor. It wasn't Tim Ballard reaching out to him and asking 
for an investment. He didn't even know who Tim Ballard was and, and hadn't even heard of him until he gets a call from Elder Ballard telling Brunson about OUR and directing Brunson to invest in that movie, correct? Right. And so that's the question. Is, is Russell Ballard an accomplice to Tim Ballard promoting OUR, promoting... Uh, using false statements to promote OUR and possibly enriching himself uh, as he does it? Or was he victimized and had no idea that Tim Ballard was using his name? Um, is, is it fair to say that Brunson's video quote there directly contradicts the church's statement about Russell Ballard's involvement? Well, sure. That's what I say. Yeah, your friends are witnesses against you because he thinks he's doing the right mm. thing when he makes the statement. It's it's d devastating. Uh, when I, I worked for several years consulting with law firms, putting together, uh, preparing for trial, and as you do, and I worked on a lot of opening statements. And what you do is you try and find a smoking gun document. And a smoking gun soundbite from hours and hours of depositions with sometimes dozens of people. And one time I worked on a case uh, that, that they used a focus group and I prepared the opening and I put one soundbite in it. It was about 20 seconds long. <laughs> it was about 20 seconds long. And, you know, when you do focus groups, they have the meter that goes up and down as to what the, 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 the mock jury resonates with. And it went off the charts. And it, it was a key, very short piece of uh, evidence. And, and that's what I think this Brunson video would do. The issue is, is did they have a business relationship? Was, it, was possibly money somehow involved? And certainly money was. He had money and he helped fund this movie that they wanted done. I think that if your... Uh, viewers right now uh, had one of these devices where it shows, okay, this really resonates with me. This is important that it, that it probably would have gone off the charts. It did for me. I know. Mm. Mm. What is next, Lynn? Okay. Next slide. Okay. Then this is the Dave Lopez interview. He just confirms that he knew about the relationship between uh, uh, Russell Ballard and uh, his uh, son-in-law. And uh, he, he, Lopez told me that he would get emails showing uh, Tim Ballard and Russell Ballard together. It was sort of like, you know, name dropping emails. I just met with, uh, with the apostle and I tried to get him to share a couple of those and, and uh, he wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's rather sensitive. So we can go to the next slide. Okay, so Sheriston Stockwell uh, provided some of the most dramatic testimony uh, to the FBI agent and the Davis County uh, investigator who was uh, doing the interview. She personally met with Russell Ballard and Tim Ballard. So you have another eyewitness who, hey, I was in the meeting. And she knows that the, he, uh, she claims he even appeared at at least one OUR function. 
Well, I mean, how impressive would that be if you had a function going on and you had an apostle of the Mormon church show up and, and in all appearances is endorsing or agreeing with what was done. And then again, she says that they met uh, once a month. So I think that's fairly conclusive. You have Tim Ballard saying it, you have her saying it, you have others saying that they met. And then there's an audio of, uh, of Catherine Ballard saying the same thing. So you've got yes. four witnesses uh, agreeing that they met frequently. And I do I'm have sorry. that Catherine Ballard audio if we want that. I want it in a second. Can you tell our audience who Churston Stockwell is? She's associated with OUR. Well, right. She was um, she was involved with. Uh, she, she has uh, an impressive background. She's worked in Washington D.C. Uh, she's had a lot of experience. She was working uh, with, uh, I believe, marketing. She was, I, I would say, somebody that's a little bit higher up in OUR, and she's the one that wanted to honestly promote OUR. So she kept saying, where's the proof behind the numbers? We want to, we want to make this credible. And she keeps not getting that information. And I, I believe that Vice News, I'm not sure, has done an interview with her. I've left two, I've interviewed her, not interviewed, talked to her husband briefly. I've left two messages. Uh, she hasn't returned calls. And I think now that lawsuits are flying everywhere, that it's going to be increasingly difficult to get some people who would be key witnesses to talk, because I would suspect some of the attorneys would say, we appreciate it if you don't talk to the press, because it could uh, 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 dilute her testimony and it could give uh, opposing counsel a chance to impeach the witness because, hey, you said this to the press. You're saying this now on the stand, which one, you know, the, the drill. I noticed that in her statement, she brings up another apostle, Elder Ronald Rasband. Right. And she says that she met with him. Uh, I think it's in the next slide, maybe. Um, is that the one? Well, the slide oh. with Elder Rasband was on the one that was up before. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and so, the the top. so anyway, so that was, that was uh, one of the meetings. Now, that doesn't confirm that he invested, but it confirms that he had an interest in what was going on. And if you put that with the fact that he chose not to reply when he had a chance to deny it, that it makes it uh, appear more likely uh, to be true. Okay, next slide. Um, she here is just, uh, I won't read the whole thing. She's expressing skepticism about the, uh, about the psychic uh, several people were upset. Uh, and then she says that uh, Tim uh, brought up, I think not in, but brought up an official CIA case where they brought in a psychic and it worked. Uh, again, if Ballard would ever tell us about what he did with the CIA, uh, there's a lot of speculation. He was nothing more than an intern and would have never worked on actual cases. He just would observe what was going on. Uh, as a reporter, at least on two occasions that I recall, the police were desperate to find somebody who was missing. They engaged psychics. It's not unusual that they will try anything. And in both cases, um, the, the psychics had uh, no information that was useful. I, I've never heard of one 
that that has worked. But when you're desperate, like with Gardy, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes you'll try anything. Right. My experience with psychics, which is not a lot, but the experience I've had is that they're really good on past cases, but not so good on the current case. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You go to the next slide. Um, okay. She's talking about Liberty 89. Remember, that's the one that I talked about before, a company that was formed that I think was formed to do a movie, but was canceled uh, uh, the, the day before the uh, alleged meeting with the 12 apostles. And she's just talking about uh, uh, 89. And what, what I believe is, is that uh, Liberty 89 was quickly replaced by another entity with a similar name called Liberty and Light. And I was going to go into detail about that company uh, in this presentation, but then decided not to. That's something I may go into later. Two points, Lynn. First off, Mike, who's done an incredible, wonderful uh, donation. And there's been a lot of them tonight. And thank you so much, everybody, for your super chats. I want to make sure, Lynn, that you know that Mike says, hope this isn't awkward, but Lynn Packer has supplanted Ryan Reynolds as my man crush. All right. Second thing I want to say is the actual language that Churston uses is important. I'm at the top. Churston and Tim took her to, said Tim Ballard took her to a meeting in her official OUR work capacity to meet with people at Thanksgiving Point. The people at the meeting included Tom Harrison, who I think is a name, in apocalyptic Mormon circles, yes. Ken Krogh, Hugh Vale, Tim Ballard, Chur Churston said they claimed to have visions and special intelligence of the second coming. Well, you know about Tom Harrison, right? Yeah, he's had lots of visions about the second coming. Well, sure. And uh, it's not unusual. He likes to meet at Thanksgiving point. It's not unusual that this happened. Uh, there's a lot more that's going to come out about mm -hmm. the relationship between Tom Harrison, uh, Janet Russon, and uh, and Tim Ballard. The, the question is, is that what did what did Russell Ballard know about this? And and if he knew about it, did he look the other way, or was he one of the believers? Did she ever do a reading for him? And did did he want something? Uh, like that. And remember, you have witnesses say that Tim Ballard said he told Russell Ballard about it, but that could be a lie. So it doesn't necessarily mean Definitely. that he knew about. But if you meet regularly, sometimes more than once a month over almost a 10-year, well, easily a 10-year period, you're going to discuss the things that are important. And Janet Russon was extraordinarily important in Tim Ballard's life and in his wife's and in other people. Uh, the I, I told you about talking to an operative earlier today, and she had a reading from uh, Janet Russon. And it was very much like a patriarchal blessing where she gives her the reading, it's typed out, you get a copy into something that you do like with a patriarchal blessing is something that you study and, and reflect on once in a while. Okay, next slide. And I just talk about uh, a, a, a leopard never changing its spots, and then we'll quickly go through what his business background is. 
Uh, let me know. I can't see. But when your viewers get down to five, I think we ought to wrap it up. So uh, the next slide. We are at 1163 right now watching live. It's a is, new more is, than live record. Is, well, I taught for several years at, at uh, BYU. And because I can only be down there uh, for three days, my lectures were two hours. So I'm sort of used to this. And, and I tried not to put uh, my students to sleep. So anyway, at 23, he's in at the university. He begins selling cars at his dad's Nash uh, dealership on 633 South Main. And RFM, hmm. I don't think you're from Utah. So the, at least the Utah viewers would know that's Kitty Corner uh, from where Sears used to be downtown. Very prominent location. So next slide. We'll go through these quickly. Okay, he says he was a top salesman. Then he left, this is his, the, you know, his biography. He left it in the early 1950s to pursue other business interests. Unspecified. It just says he was involved with investments. It never mentions that he's working in the fraud-ridden, notorious, extraordinarily corrupt penny stock uh, uh, business. And, and so... Uh, and so he does, the, and, and then it says that he did it between selling cars at his dad's dealership, and then he returns to take over the dealership. Uh, and, and then in 1956, he returned and took over Ballard Motor Company. What they leave out is, is that he never left the uh, uh, penny stock business. In fact, he was trying to, uh, in one of his announcements, as he sort of rebrands the dealership, he, uh, he he says that I, I'm making this company an investment company besides being a car dealership. So go to the next slide. And so he, what he did uh, uh, in 1954, at age 26, he's still relatively young. He drops out of college and he becomes heavily involved in this just incredibly corrupt. It's staggeringly corrupt. And it was the beginning, even though there had been uh, trading in penny stocks before the 50s, this is the time that it was really put on the map. And you had people across America investing through the Salt Lake Stock Exchange. Uh, the, and that's why there's an exchange place in Salt Lake, because that's where it used to be. And, and as I say, he continued even after taking over his father's dealership. Then the next slide Oops, sorry about that. is that the, so during this time period, he's formed a, uh, a, uh, uh, a, one of these penny stock companies that trades. If we had more time, I would go into how they manipulate share prices. And some people say, that, okay, penny stocks is no worse than going to Las Vegas and rolling the dice, right? You've got a chance of winning, maybe one chance in a hundred that you might win a lot of money. That's not a good analogy. It's like going to Las Vegas and rolling loaded dice because these people who run the penny stock companies uh, are manipulating uh, share prices and making unbelievable killings on some of these. And then I just talk about the fact that Utah has this reputation for being a fraud capital. 
uh, even as recently as a year ago, I've seen two articles that bring that same thing up. So go to the next one. And so as he's doing this, he's made a counselor in a bishopric, and then he's made bishop. And so if, if they read the Deseret News and Tribune, they know that he's been in serious trouble with the SEC. And even if the SEC uh, didn't sanction him the way they did, they would know that he's working in the penny stock market. And there's some reason to believe, I haven't finished the research, that one of those that he was in a bishopric work, uh, with was engaged in one of the companies that was involved with penny stock fraud or stock trading. So you go to the next slide. And so uh, this was uh, like a disaster. It only took him three years to run the company into the ground. He, he, when he took over the dealership from his dad, he dropped Nash an American Motors, and remember at that time, uh, uh, at that time, uh, uh, it was uh, Nash Kelvinator and ZCMI was uh, selling uh, some of the product, and uh, and uh, George Romney was an official with uh, uh, American Motors, so I had there was a, a close tie with that. But anyway, he drops them. Uh, before he picks up Edsel, he starts selling English Fords. And I don't know if you know much about English cars and English Fords, is that there was a sort of a run at that time. People were becoming interested in uh, gas-saving cars, and you had all kinds of them coming into the market, including Volkswagen at that time. But English Fords were poorly made. Uh, anyway, he picks up that franchise instead of Nash. And then soon after that, uh, Ford comes to him and says, will you do an Edsel uh, dealership? Uh, it, it helped uh, uh, ruin the company financially. Uh, he tells the story frequently. I prayed about that decision. God told me not to do it. I did it anyway. And look what you get when you don't follow God. And it brought our company to the brink of bankruptcy. It probably would have taken the company into bankruptcy, but he was able to sell off the uh, Edsel franchise in 1959 to another uh, car dealer, and then they took over the dealership. So uh, Ballard Motor, which had existed for decades, was gone. Uh, the lesson I'm taking from this is what happens if you don't follow God is you get to become an apostle. <laughs> it, it has that appearance. I mean, it... it it seems like it had no effect. And so go to the next slide. Wouldn't you say the lack of integrity is more important, RFM? The lack of integrity is more important to becoming an apostle? Then it's well, amazing. I don't know. Do they actually have a job description for hey, an apostle? Look, you guys, there's another, there's another side to this that I've dealt with in reporting before is that these people who deal in penny stocks usually have to keep up their image as Mormons and pay huge amounts of money in tithing. And I did a story on this a long time ago. At one time I had a sort, you know, the church uh, in investment arm uh, that, that handles uh, the, in, the investments, Ensign Peak Development or something. Uh, that used to be down at BYU. And then they, they, they moved it to Salt Lake. When it was a BYU, I had a source 
uh, inside uh, th this uh, entity of the church that, that handled investments for the church. And these penny stock people were not only paying sometimes a lot of money in tithing, but a lot of times they uh, donated their penny stock as in-kind uh, donations. And there's all kinds of things wrong with that because you could say the church owns the stock, they could hold it so you could better run a pump and dump scheme. And my information is, is the church has quit doing that, that they said uh, we're not accepting over-the-counter uh, stock off the pink sheets as in-kind donations. Lynn, you took about 15 minutes to 20 minutes the other day on the phone to describe to me what the penny stock fiasco and the scam was about. Can I try and do it in 60 seconds and let me sure. know if I do a good job? Yeah. What it is, is first off, like you just mentioned, in the 50s, Utah has its own stock exchange in Salt Lake City. And the idea is you come up with some kind of idea, like you said, uranium, silver, gold, anything to get attention. There doesn't even necessarily even have to be any there there behind what it is that you're claiming to have a company in. Then you promote it with these penny stocks, which are inexpensive stocks, right? They could be $1.50, they could be 10 cents, whatever it is. You get a press release out there. You get some media attention on your company and the stock offering so that lots of people buy up the penny stocks. You're the owner, so you have a majority share, typically I would expect, of the stocks that are in the company. So the pump is to get the attention on how great this stock is to get a ton of people to buy it all up, inflating the cost of all the stocks, at which point the owner then picks a good time to sell all of his 50% plus stocks at a huge markup and then leave everybody else holding the bag. Right. And that's the dump. You describe the pump where you pump it up with press releases or statements or something like that. And, and then the, the dump. And it's not unusual that they'll go through this cycle several times. And remember, if you have uh, a million shares, uh, uh, 10 cents a share, today it would be more like 2 or $3 a share. That's Today that's called a thinly traded uh, penny stock. And you quadruple the price of it. You can walk away with uh, huge amounts of money. And to avoid detection by the SEC, they often use what are called nominees. And that, that makes it difficult because you're not uh, selling the stock. You've parked it over somewhere with a friend who's uh, semi-isolated. And so when they investigate these things, they're always looking also for nominees who participate in the scam. You mean like son-in-laws? Uh, look, I had, I, I'm, all I know is, is that up in, when I did the last research on this, the family still was had penny stock holdings. And I did say son-in-laws. I should say sons-in-law to be grammatically correct. Well, However, well, Lynn. Well, I, I haven't talked about his son. You have his son-in-law that was involved with slave stealers. Uh, right. uh, I, I think I talk about it in the other video. His son was involved with uh, trading penny stocks. Because remember, you often use family members that you form a, a some sort of corporation or something to hold these investments and then uh, they can help deal with it. And I believe his son also uh, assisted with, with these investments. The old, uh, the, old, the old pump and dump where, you know, you jarred something loose there, Tiger. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Sorry, that's a movie line. Maybe that. you I'm two really glad of that. don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Lynn, uh, Elder Ballard had a company, Tatro or Tatro Uranium, back in right. the 1950s, was one of them. Yeah. So, can you tell our audience? Did Elder Ballard actually have a uranium company? I mean, was there any uranium in it? Did it have anything to do with uranium? Yeah, quite often they do have holdings. That's not at all unusual. There, uh, there are mines and mining companies spread throughout the West, and uh, especially in Utah and uh, Nevada. And there can be a mining company that's in operation, and you pay a million dollars for it so that you can create the appearance that you're actually mining uranium. And so sometimes there actually is, but the value, if they're mining uranium and not making any money, it doesn't matter what you paid for it. It's worthless. And it, it might be just there as a, just something to own. So you can tell investors, Hey, if you drive up there, there's a mine and people are digging stuff in it. And, but, but sometimes it is just thin air. Uh, and, and another mark, and we don't need to get into this detail is they're always buying and selling companies just right and left, because every time you acquire a company, you might acquire a company for a million dollars or something, and you've got the money because you've got investors, and then you do a pump. You put out a press release, and people are impressed, and then and, and then in two months, you can buy another company, do a pump and dump, and the stock is cycling up and down all the time. And the ones who are really good at it, and I've written about this in the past years ago, uh, the good at it will not only repeat the cycle several times and do the pump and dump, that they will actually use a nominee to short their own stock <laughs> and they will make money when it goes down. Uh, the, the, the ones who are good at it are really good. And, and I don't know how good Russell Ballard was as at, at doing it. Well, it would certainly be a coup if a person doing this kind of scam could cite to a general authority as being a backer or supporter. Oh, of the it's, it's, it's huge. It's what you do. Uh, there are so many of these scams that they uh, use actors, uh, politicians, anybody that would uh, add credibility so that someone doesn't do the research or somebody thinks it's a sure thing is similar to the, the, the Valley Music Hall. Is he brought in Art Linkletter? And then when they had a uh, a the, the the groundbreaking they brought in two or three well-known actors. I mean, this is impressive stuff. But they were probably paying them all well, and 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 these advisors they called it an advisory committee probably knew nothing about the finances of uh, Valley Musical. Okay, are we ready for the next slide? Okay, then we're, we're, we're talking about, now remember now the SEC has shut down his brokerage. They've shut it down. Uh, there's no criminal charges because the SEC does not bring criminal charges. It refers, if it thinks a company is really bad, they will refer it to the Justice Department. And they probably uh, are overloaded with cases. So usually the worst thing that happens is they, uh, they delist or cause the delisting of your stock and they shut down your brokerage in this case. So hot on the heels of that is even this was sort of all lingering. Then he does the Valley 
music hall thing. As I said, he brings in Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter was involved with an almost identical building in California that also ended up being uh, a bust. And so in 64, he initially says it's going to be funded by uh, well-to-do uh, people in Salt Lake, but then he quickly goes to the SEC to put together an offering. Now, this is not a penny stock. Uh, it's a limited offering, but it's still an offering where you uh, represent what it's for, disclose that you could lose all your, you know, the whole thing with an offering. I think they call them Reg D's or something today. But he puts together this offering and people quickly uh, invest. And it has sort of the tacit support of the church because in Eldon Tanner attended the groundbreaking and that was uh, well publicized. So you can go to the next slide. And, and then it just, it was losing huge amounts of money and it was clear that it could not survive. And so if you go to the next slide, so what he does then, and this is an even more amazing part of this, is now he turns to various, like, I call them schemes, but he would call them programs to bail out uh, Valley Music Hall. And we won't go into detail, but he did uh, what are quite often scams in Utah is that's door-to-door uh, -door sales and multi-level marketing, and there may have been telemarketing involved with it. So he's using all of these things. And the, the, he, he puts together this Family Achievement Institute. That was the company that was uh, putting together these uh, vinyl recordings of Pat Boone and Art Linkletter uh, writing stuff. And by the way, Stephen R. Covey was one of the ghostwriters for that. Uh, so he he uh, he puts that together, and this is a, a nationwide multi-level marketing thing, one of the early ones in Utah. Then you go to the next slide. Uh, then, as an aside, the company that was involved in the, uh, the multi-level marketing, I think that's the one, was sanctioned by the FTC because they were using misleading and deceptive statements to promote it. It's just, it's, it's what's typical in this particular space and selling stuff door to door, selling it uh, uh, on the telephone and doing multi-level marketing. So there are numerous occasions where Elder Ballard or the group of people he's in business with, including the recent SEC scandal with the church, where the phrase misleading and deceptive seems to be kind of a common theme with M. Russell Ballard. Well, well look, I did, I, did, I did a video on this that's on YouTube that has nothing to do with OUR, and I talk about one of the shocks on my mission is the first day we went out tracting and we were saying we were doing a survey and we had a little sort of flip chart book and we had a grease marker and we would ask what they knew about the church. Did you know about the temple in Switzerland and that? And we would mark it. And we went to a couple of doors. And I remember we were walking through a field, a path on a field, and there were some cows there. And my companion started to erase it. 
I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I said, aren't we reporting these results to the mission so that they know what the awareness is? He says, no, that's just, uh, that's just the way we, that's just our door approach. And, and that was, I think, the first day I was out tracting. So missionaries get good at it. And that's why a lot of these door-to-door sales companies are located in Utah County because they recruit, uh, return missionaries in droves to go out and just basically do what they did on their missions. Mm-hmm. Anyway, next slide. And so uh, this is how his bio portrays the Valley Music Hall stock offering. They, they, the church calls it a highlight of his career. Well, it probably was a financial disaster, uh, uh, an enormous disaster. How is that a highlight? And, and then compared to his uh, other, well, yes, say, you disasters. Seen, yes, have you seen the rest <laughs> of his life? I mean, and, and this, this is a highlight. This is that it's a guess. This is, yeah, he's, he's saying, look, we're bringing high quality family entertainment to the state, which is commendable, but. Uh, it, it didn't work, and then they do, they do the name dropping. This is the, the cleanest scam he's been a part of. Over. Hey, we've got Art Linklater, Danny Thomas, Bob Cummings, other Hollywood celebrities. How could there be anything wrong with this? And then he says, although it failed financially, which is true, he ensured that investors recovered the money they invested. He didn't insure it. The church insured it. They 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 call a low light a highlight, and then they they uh, bail him out. But there are probably, if you do the math, a lot of money that was just flat out lost, just mm-hmm. probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't think the this church is, completely bailed him out. They just saved his, you know what, uh, so that he could avoid bankruptcy. Right. This is the, this is the most ethical scam that M. Russell Ballard was a part of was the, Valley Music Hall, and you know he's mm-hmm. and so he's been in slide. quite a few. <laughs> yeah, so you go to the next slide. Is that then the church uh, uh, buys it in November 1970? Then go to the next slide. Okay, now I'm I, I'm jumping ahead to one of their. Uh, penny stock investments that's uh, more recent into Biro uh, Meridian, which is one of several similar quack medical devices. So it's not only a penny stock, it's in something, uh, a, a device that the FTC keeps trying to ban, but it's the typical thing. We don't sell it to detect cancer. We don't sell it to cure anything. We're just uh, using it as a, what, a galvanic skin tester or something, you know, similar it's an to e-meter. e-meter. That's just what I was going to say. Similar <laughs> to Scientology, an e-meter. Scientology, meet Mormonism. The, the, we're doing that. But let me say, and I don't have a slide, it, w- it would be in this, uh, like in this gap between the two slides. He goes on to do uh, what appear to be scams with the remnants of Valley Music Hall. Like he sells it to the church. And, 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 of course, the asset of Valley Music Hall is gone. And then he does a reverse merger with another company. They do another merger. The company changes name several times. Now, I don't know this, but it has the appearance of a, a stock scam. 
and a, 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 a version of, of pump and dump. There would be, need to be a lot more research, but there are red flags everywhere about what happened to the Valley Music Hall stock and the shareholders that stayed with it after the church uh, uh, bought the Valley Music Hall. And Lynn, I just did a little research of the 775,000 that the church laid out to help Elder Ballard out of the Valley Music uh, Theater, Playhouse, mm -hmm. fiasco. And that's 1970. In today's dollars, that's $6,101,000. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. And when this was happening, I, I was in the service when a lot of this was going on. I lived in Bountiful uh, before I was drafted. I go in the service. I'm gone uh, for almost two years, and I come back where I come back to work at KSL. I come back and, uh, and live in Bountiful. And so I was very familiar, you know, every day you drive to work, you drive by Valley Music Hall. And this was happening right as I was getting out of the service. So I was aware of it. There were some news stories. I was aware at the time that people were saying it was a, a Russell Ballard uh, bailout. Hmm. Okay. And I think we're like to the end. I think isn't the next slide. Okay, it's just a wind up uh, that I used on my YouTube video that, that his involvement, Russell Ballard was with questionable, these financial ventures, and then it's associated with actual business failures and uh, his lying about the business tie is really no surprise given his past conduct. So if you would engage in bad business and unethical business, it could be predictable. And it's no surprise that the church paints him as a Tim Ballard victim rather than a Tim Ballard accomplice. I think that was the basically the last slide. All right. And I just well, I just want to note we did have that audio from Catherine. Is it Catherine Ballard? Mm-hmm. Is that something we want to play at all tonight? Well, it runs about a a, a minute and a half, but basically she just says. It is interesting to live to, listen to, but it's like when you're uh, doing a trial and you put on the third witness and then there's an objection because it's cumulative evidence. And so they don't allow it. They say, you've already made the point, you've already proved it. And I've already uh, cited uh, uh, Tim Ballard himself. Uh, two of the uh, operatives and another uh bit of testimony uh, from a witness who, who all say the same thing. He met with him regularly. Well, here's what I'd like to do, Lynn. Let's go ahead. Let's play that clip for a minute and a half mm -hmm. while we allow people to call in. So if any of you have questions for Lynn, uh, we're pro we'll probably limit it to three callers, the first lucky three. And while you're taking care of that, by the way, the number is waiting for the trailer to go by i still haven't memorized the number join the call-in portion of the show call 662-667-6667 or 662-MORMONS with an s yes 662 mormons and here is the clip from katherine ballard tim's wife elder ballard has been so wonderful so supportive acting as a 
as unofficial counsel, he would get if Tim didn't didn't schedule an appointment every month, he would he would call him and say, "Why haven't you come in?" And we just treasured that relationship. It was such a gift, mm-hmm. especially when really hard decisions were being made, like, do we start this nonprofit? Tim and Elder Ballard are very close. They, uh, every time we meet with him, Elder Ballard expresses his love for Tim. I got a sense that there was concern that Tim was inappropriately using Elder Ballard's name and to promote Operation Underground Railroad or his business dealings. Never. Elder Ballard was very careful about that relationship because he, he always told Tim, I don't want, I, I don't want to hurt your organization by bringing the church into it. And I don't want the organization to hurt the church, vice versa, by by being too open about this. But but so they were both very careful. But of course, the the LDS world is small yeah. within Utah. Yeah. So people hear they hear that Tim mm-hmm. meets with him, mm-hmm. but we were always very careful to just mm-hmm. say he just wanted to give us a blessing. Well, the blessing is pretty big when it's coming from an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I, I have to smile after tonight's episode and all the information you've given us, Lynn, to hear Catherine Ballard say that Elder Ballard was very helpful and Tim would go to him with questions like, should I start this business? Right. And that's something I reported in 2015 when I was first started talking about uh, uh, his role, his connection. All right. Do we have any phone calls, Bill? Uh, we do. So give me a second. Let me. Uh... I'm guessing from some of the comments that have gone up here that there's been a bit of a lively debate in the live chat with some people questioning your credibility, Lynn. Sure. There are a number, in spite of this, there are a number of people who are still going to support Tim Ballard. Yeah. And God bless him. They will continue to support him to the grave, I expect. Although people have changed their minds and are changing their minds as more information comes out and hopefully. We can follow the evidence where it leads. Yeah, I get I get such comments daily as, uh, you know, YouTube uh, comments. I got one today that where the the viewer insisted that I send him my address so he could send a bill for the the hour or so he wasted watching my video. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't send him your address so he could send you anything. I would send him uh, Elder Ballard's son-in-law's address. <laughs> Which happens to be used quite a bit, huh? Hmm. All right. Hey, this looks like maybe Marzipan. Um, I love Marzipan. Yeah. Is is that the name? Caller? That's not my real name, but oh, that's gosh. my name on YouTube. Sweet. Your real name isn't Marzipan? <laughs> Dang. Well, you are on Mormonism Live. Hey. I can't believe I got through. Um, no, I just wanted to say that Lynn is awesome. He did an awesome job. Um, I really am looking forward to um, the cases against Tim Ballard uh, moving forward just because I'm looking forward to RFM reading us court transcripts. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've seen... Um, I've seen Lynn on with uh, uh, John. I watched his Mormon, um, 
Mormon stories episodes and talking about um, his uncle and his, uh, you know, his long career um, in journalism. And so I just really appreciate him coming on to share with us about what's going on with. And, you know, honestly, this is so predictable. I grew up in the Mormon church and these kind of scams and scandals and things just happen over and over again there's you know if you will fall for mormonism you will fall for anything so it's not none of this is surprising to me it's all it's all a scam and if you buy the book of mormon then you buy the scams that go with it okay thank you the excellent point there marzipan thanks for calling lynn have you gotten any death threats uh not for this story i have for others how, that i've done how about bar complaints uh <laughs> no but well that, i know you're not a lawyer you're well, not well, a lawyer that's I, an I inside know, but, joke here. but i actually i have had a bar complaint. you have yeah somebody was how complaining that, that on one of these cases i was working on that i was acting as an attorney so oh. so I, I i join you in getting a bar complaint well, the bar has no control over you if you're only acting as an attorney. I, I know. That's the prosecutor's job. Yeah, I know. We will not have any people pretending to be attorneys in this country. No, that infringes upon the sacred rights of the bar associations. Mm -hmm. Some people refer to them as secret combinations, but hey, it's my secret combination. All right, let me uh, grab the next call here. I just, by the way, as I'm transitioning to this phone call, I, I can't, I can't get over. Like, I, can, I don't, I can't get past the optics of what the church does in terms of again elder ballard deception scam scam deception deception scam and then you just you get you become an apostle it's like you called as a special witness of jesus christ a man who has zero integrity mm -hmm. um, seems like a strange if if you're the true church of jesus christ with which the lord is well pleased and these men really are prophets seers and revelators it just seems like there'd be a different uh, category of human beings who would be called into that position than men who have made a lifetime act of deception. Mm -hmm. Apparently, pedigree trumps principle. Uh, yeah, tell that uh, great-grandpa Melvin Ballard. <laughs> so we had marzipan first. Who's the next caller, Bill? I hope it's Turkish delight. It is It is not. It is, I believe, Cameron. Cameron, are you there? I'm here. Okay, you're on Mormonism Live, my friend. All right, first of all, uh, Bill and RFM listened to a ton of your stuff in the last 18 months, and just first of all, thanks for all you guys do, and Lynn, uh, certainly come across a lot of your stuff in, in my journey the last 18 months as well, so thank, thank, thank you. Well. Thank you to all three of you. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of a specific question, uh, mainly for RFM. Um, you you've covered so extensively the tim ballard uh situation as it's as it's kind of come out and when the church made its statement i feel like you um came out pretty strongly with with your opinion on a certain passage and, and now that it's kind of it's developed I, i'm curious to hear your your current take um and, it, and it's probably the part that's gotten the most play once it became once it became clear tim ballard had betrayed their friendship through the unauthorized use of President Ballard's name for Tim Ballard's personal advantage and activity regarded as morally acceptable, President Ballard withdrew his association. I feel like in your first 
um, podcast about that RFM, you seem to allude or believe that that the activity regarded as morally unacceptable was using President Ballard's name. I'm curious, given what's come out now, you know, your feelings on that on that statement from the church generally. I, I tend to think it was pretty squirrely, but also maybe brilliant um, in what's come out recently. But just kind of curious your take as this has developed on on if you still believe that's the same thing or if it seems like uh, the church really took issue with the way that that, uh, Tim has used President Ballard's name. Well, I'll tell you, my feelings about this have changed a little bit over time as new information has come out. But I'm looking at this situation where there's horrible people like Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Uh, and those are just two of a host that could be named, that the church does not issue public statements condemning them. And I think that if Tim Ballard were just one of those people, now what he's alleged to do is atrocious, but I don't know that it's more atrocious than what these other people did, right? I think the thing that distinguishes Tim Ballard from these other people such that he got the special treatment of this public denunciation by the church is because of his relationship with top church leaders and especially Elder Ballard. And I see that statement, the only specific thing that it had in there was Elder Ballard has nothing to do with this guy, Tim Ballard. You know, they used to have a friendship but that's done. He is dead to me now several months ago and he has no business relationships with him, no business dealings with him. And my impression here is that The reason Tim Ballard gets the special denunciation treatment is because he's the one who's capable of bringing down, may put it too strongly, I'll say bringing down Elder Ballard and perhaps other church leaders, but at least certainly smearing their name because of their association with him. I don't think church leaders have associations probably with Chad Daybell or Lori Vallow. It's that connection that got Tim Ballard denounced. That's what I think. And my concern is, that there's all this wonderful, juicy, sexy stuff out there about the Tim Ballard case. And, you know, it's atrocious, these allegations. My concern is I've enunciated before and I want to get Lynn's um, comment on this. My concern about the juicy, sexy stuff is that that tends to get all the focus and something that's as dry and boring comparatively as business dealings gets moved off stage. So that's why we wanted to do the show tonight with Lynn so we could focus on what I think is one of the key aspects of this story, and that's the relationship of the LDS church leaders and specifically Elder Ballard with Tim Ballard in Operation Underground Railroad. What do you think, Lynn? Well, it was basically the point I made in the second slide. Uh, Remember, I broke the story on a Sunday that the allegations against Ballard had to do with sexual misconduct. It hadn't been reported before that. The next day, Vice was prepared to run their story. They ran it. It was sort of like a, a, a one-two punch. And then it blew up everywhere it, in a day, in a day. It was picked up all across the United States in a couple of foreign uh, papers. And that was the sex part of the story. I break the story about an LDS apostle possibly being accomplished, but certainly uh having uh, 
more involvement, far more involvement with the business than the church had said, and nobody picks it up. But then I also said that's been the case for years. And I, I, I read where one of the viewers said, well, what about going to the trib? Uh, I knew the trib was not going to cover this aspect of the story more than two years ago. Uh, it's just, it's, it's off limits. It, and it's been this way for years. It's, they're not giving special treatment to Russell Ballard. They're giving special treatment to the church. Uh, journalists are supposed to be watchdogs over powerful institutions. It, 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 government, uh, number one, uh, big business, especially monopolies, especially uh, churches, uh, charities, any institution that has a lot of power and uh, in, involved with a lot of money has influence over what goes on. And, and yet uh, the Utah press only does a moderate job being a watchdog over government and doesn't do any job over uh, one of the nation's top uh, uh, religious institutions. And it's right here in uh, Salt Lake City. I'm just mentioning quickly, uh, in the 40s and early 50s, reporters, the, 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 there was three newspapers at the time, the church office building was a beat that is, they assigned reporters there, and they could walk the halls, and uh, it was not unusual that they could walk in and interview the president of the church. That's what's going on today. And it was good because they could communicate, and it's a, it's a good way for leaders to uh, be in touch sort of with the public. You can't do that remotely today, and you can't do the same thing. When I covered the Capitol, uh, I, did, I had two stints covering the Capitol. First one was with Governor Rampton. You could walk into the governor's office. You would walk by. You were pledged not to report that he smoked cigars. That was sort of a rule that was going on. And sometimes you just stick your head in anything new. Sometimes you'd be walking by and he would say, hey, come in here. I got something to say, which is a really good contact between reporters. Same thing when I covered city county building and jay bracken lee was governor think that you walk in his office that's all that's all gone and it's all part of the watchdog role and most news outlets don't even have anybody assigned to cover the capital full-time or city county government full-time and and certainly the church and the tribune does stories they've started covering this robert gerke is an excellent reporter and he sort of stepped up and, and has, has done some good reporting on this, but they're not going to cover the church as a powerful institution. It isn't going to happen. It's not going to well, happen I, in our lifetime. I appreciate you, your credit to your profession. Walt asks the penetrating question, how can we support Lynn and his great work? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I, I've never even intended uh, to uh, get a lot of clicks. I, from the very beginning, I intended uh, my reports were for insiders and uh, opinion leaders just to inform them. If I got two or 300 uh, hits or clicks, I, I, I was comfortable with that. I've been offered money. Uh, and, and certainly it's important for some podcasters to, to get funded. I've turned it down. I turned down an offer for money uh, three or four days ago because he thought that that would help with it. But I said, 
there are some areas of reporting that could use uh, funding. And uh, at, at some point, I will direct some of these people to the areas that need money. Because, uh, uh, for example, I'm working with two other people who are uh, doing more uh, in-depth investigation in Haiti. And some of that can be expensive to get uh, translators, to get records, uh, possibly even to, uh, to go there. So in, in those instances, uh, funding would help. But right now, uh, really, I, I think where the most help can be done is for people to encourage law enforcement to do their job. And if there's credible evidence that sexual battery has taken place, you bring criminal charges. If there's credible evidence that there's been financial fraud within all these donations to OUR, you investigate that. You, the FBI, the, the Salt Lake County DA, uh, maybe Troy Rawlings would give it another shot. I don't know. Uh, but that's where a lot of support can be. And, and the other thing is, is that I think money, uh, the people, people are concerned about child pornography and they're concerned about pedophiles. But we have law enforcement set up who are trained uh, to do it. And they, they don't have to have movies made about them and they don't have to give speeches. And so you encourage local government to put more funding into like the ICAC program, the Internet Crimes Against Children. You encourage that. And, and what would be wrong if you, besides paying taxes, because you are supporting it through taxes, that you just uh, write a check and send it to them and say, if you need some money to, to continue cracking down on child pornography, to tracking down pedophiles, uh, here's a little bit of help. I'd rather go there where it really could do some good. Okay, very good. We have time for one more caller. Is there one more on the line, Bill? No, I ended up just ending. Nobody else had called in, so I ended up just ending the call. Ending the okay, very good. Call. Well, we're wrapping up now. So thank you again so much for coming on the show, Lynn. Uh, it's been absolutely educational, and you certainly answered my question about if there's any evidence about business dealings between Elder Packer yeah. and Tim Ballard. Excuse me, Elder Ballard. Elder, talk about uh, yeah, reincarnation. Yeah. Well, Elder Ballard thanks. and Tim I, Ballard. I appreciate the fact you have an interest. And you're the first one, to, you know, remember, I reported on this more than uh, three years ago. You're the first one that's taken a significant interest in what was uh, Russell Ballard's actual role in all of this. Well, thank you for having the receipts on this and sharing it with our audience. I think you've answered that question in the affirmative. Yeah. And uh, RFM, I just want to say thank you to all the folks who participated in the Super Chats. Uh, it was a, a decent amount of uh, money that came in through those tonight. And just want to say thank you to those who support the program in that way. Uh, for those who want to donate to the nonprofit, to Mormonism Live directly, go to mormonismlive.org. Click the donate button at the top in the header. Send us a few bucks, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month would be great. Uh, Lynn, I just want to say thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And I've respected you from a distance for a long, long time. And it was really great to put a face to uh, the stories that you broke in the past and the part you've played in shining a light on the truth. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. So we'll close up the show. Thank you again, Lynn. Later. See you. Bye-bye. Mormonism Live. Better than touching your own little factory.